Hello creatives, this is Ed and I'm back with another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. We've got a wild card today. Paul Richards is now <laughs> an actor and a writer, but when I knew him, he was just a playwright who had no interest in acting whatsoever. So it's been really interesting. I've had to throw the whole rule book out the window. There's only a few of my questions that I usually ask, I get to ask because um, this is a an unorthodox uh, entry for the Don't Think Act podcast. This is something that's happened purely not by accident, not by, but yeah, I guess I guess by chance. Not one of these. I you know. I just fell into acting kind of things, but more. Um, well, I'll let you listen to it <laughs> and you'll find out how Paul went from um, amazing playwright to an actor who has just had a feature film based on the one-man show that he wrote, premiered at the Dublin Comedy Film Festival, which had a rave review. We get to talking about if you can ever really switch off being a creative uh we talk about fringe shows the do's and the don'ts and uh dying on your ass in colchester so enough of me here's paul richards and i don't think act podcast hello hello oh, oh hello technology uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh there we are Hey! I thought by now I know how to do this stuff. Uh, I'm afraid, yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> morning, how are you? you I'm well, thank you. Um, and good morning to you. Thank you for getting up early on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It wasn't too late last night yet. So, uh, yeah, all cool. Nice, nice. How have you been? Uh, yeah, uh, just just busy. Uh, kind of um, it, uh, about to be uh, enter some peak Richards. I reckon. Uh, <laughs> well, the, the, the next couple of weeks, I'm usually quite um, uh, caffeinated. Uh, so I'm a squeaky chair. I'll try and uh, calm that down. Um, uh, it, it's, it's, but uh, yeah, next couple of weeks look absolutely bonkers, and then um, then it's Christmas and it all calms down again. But um, yeah, I, I looked at my schedule. I was backstage last night at a gig. I looked at my schedule and kind of like screamed a bit. I was like, okay, how's how's this going to happen? Uh, um, I'm I'm genuinely relying on flights being on time, which is never a good sign uh, for things to work out. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. But you keeping busy? Yeah, well, this this is keeping me busy. Um, yeah. I've uh, yeah, this is. I've been doing this for uh, just over three months now, and um, it has taken over my life. But I'm I'm enjoying it very much, and um, not only is it uh, a wonderful excuse to talk shop with people, but also to kind of like I'm speaking to people like yourself who I haven't had a good chat with for years. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so it's kind of like um, yeah, some a creative reunion of sorts <laughs> <laughs> in stages. Um, but yeah, thank you. I know. I mean. You are always busy, Paul. You are you be like one of the busiest people I know. Um, yeah, that will have to be uh, put on your tombstone. He, tombstone. He was he he was just too busy. Um, yeah. <laughs> he tried very hard. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So um, if you're not familiar with the podcast, um, it is. I have been interviewing actors, and I've sort of noticed over the years that you have made this transition from writer to performer yes 
of sorts. <laughs> and I really wanted to, I was really fascinated by that because the, a lot of the people I've interviewed, like myself, started off as actors and then started getting into writing. Sure. Um, would it be fair to say you're the complete reverse of that? Absolutely. Uh, I, I still don't really see myself as an actor, even though I'm <laughs> on stage uh, most evenings, <laughs> which is just, um, yeah, it, it, it's a strange uh, accident, really. Um, and yeah, I, I still don't know why it's happened and why I'm still doing it. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I guess uh, a lot of actors kind of um, have that up there feeling of why am I doing this when you're driving back from a show or whatever if it hasn't necessarily worked out or if you feel that maybe your career isn't uh going anywhere but then we, we keep on doing it don't we and it's um yeah certainly a transition I wasn't expecting and there, there was a point earlier this year that I tried to get out of it again and then uh, I'm still doing it and it's like yeah <laughs> it's uh it's, it's a strange old life isn't it yeah well I mean I think um I suppose you've always been a, a bit of a performer because you also play in a You've played in many bands, and I, I imagine yeah, you're, yeah. you're still you're still you're still drumming, aren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sort of about two thousand gigs in now, I think, and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> which is uh, we were playing in Mogga Hangar last night, which is, turns out it's a real place. Uh, Who would have thought it? I just thought we were being kidnapped, uh, but uh, we're, we're huge in Mogga Hangar, it turns out. Um, but I don't think anything else happens there. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and and I guess as far as like drummers have this reputation of being the, the quiet guys at the back, well not quiet because we're hitting drums, uh, but uh, but <laughs> fairly anonymous speakers just making lots of noise. Um, but I've I've, I've more flamboyant i don't mean to because um, uh, I, I don't want to be like the uh, the guy who takes over or like no no like mr fancy pants at the back but uh i think i'm so happy on stage um uh, and it's my, my resting face seems to be a smile and it's like it's, even on a, on a really sort of stressful day i can't think yeah you know, are amazing uh and i think then people sort of see this oh what a performer i was like really okay i'm just smiling but then um that has kind of then sort of going into the uh, the other areas of my uh, performance as well so so more dropping comedy for next year I think is the plan well I was that's, that's interesting you you say that because I I was thinking uh, the other day about um when I came to see you perform once uh, many moons ago um when you were playing in a band and um the 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 memory that's actually in my mind is actually is uh observing how much you seem to be enjoying it and you and you were smiling and mm. um uh how that kind of ties in to acting slash performing is like if if an audience member sees you enjoying what you're doing then we're going to enjoy it as well so yeah. it's a nice sort of correlation there um but uh, i like to start at the beginning of these creative journeys sure. so um so if you're if you're if you're ready to get into it yeah let's go amazing You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. So, Paul Richards, where were you born? 
I was born in Somerset, um, but we we moved when I was very young, so I don't have any recollection of Somerset at all. Um, so I'm, I'm a Cambridge boy, really. We moved last three, uh, but yeah, Somerset, uh, way back in 1981. I'm very, very old. Same year as me. You're not that old. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Young, young man, yeah. <laughs> and uh, where do you live now? Uh, just outside of Cambridge, uh, a, a little—we uh, uh, call it the cheap bit of Cambridge because uh, <laughs> houses are so expensive. It turns out. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's a small village just south, south of Cambridge, and it's um, it's nice. It's uh, it's quiet. It's full of um, much older people than us. Uh, so actually, we can feel young uh, being here, which is quite nice. <laughs> and uh, so, would you say you you grew up in Cambridge because you moved there when you were younger? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. I, I see myself as a Cambridge person. Um, I've been back to Devon a few times when I was on tour, and I kind of feel it, it should be my home, my home. But uh, it, it feels like a very different pace of life, and mm. uh, I, I wouldn't cope with that. I'm, I'm far too um, caffeinated. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoy the bustle of Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> and um, to to anyone that's you know not a, um, how am I wording this? But for anyone that just doesn't know anything about Cambridge, how would you describe what it was like to grow up there? Uh, yeah, so I've always been uh, about half an hour away from it. So I'm also sort of in the villages just outside it. So um, I, growing up, uh, Cambridge City Centre, even though it's half an hour on the road, was seen as this big, vibrant, uh, lively, sort of slightly scary place for the creatives. Uh, and then you move into the centre and realise actually it's just people um, cycling, uh, a lot of cyclists, <laughs> and uh, really slow to get around and, and just generally quite frustrating. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, I love Cambridge. I think I'd love it more if I was a tourist. Um, from a performer point of view, we I actually think we're limited, which um, is strange because people assume that footlights and all that stuff, it's... Uh, it's it should be the home of creativity but it's great for student theatre uh and it's great for really high level theatre um i'm kind of in the middle of the two which is kind of a, 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 you know, I, I do better elsewhere but that way but i love cambridge it's a beautiful city to live in and it's everything kind of we could possibly need so yeah so sort of, it's very good for bands as well, isn't it? It's got a good music scene. Yeah, we we kind of got a scene. We uh, I say like maybe four venues, and we uh, we're lucky enough. We've been going for twelve years now as a band, so we um we can sell them all out. But then um uh, <laughs> there's a point where we're playing to the same people. So again, we 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 played Mogger Hanger last night. Uh, yeah, just trying to get out there and just uh, get, get some new audiences. But uh, yeah, Cambridge is lovely, and sometimes I don't. Uh, I take it for granted. Um, I, I barely have nights off, as you know. Um, so when I uh, when I do. I got my wife into, into the centre of a nice meal or whatever, and I think, oh, it's lovely, why don't we do this more often? But I guess the place that you live in, you don't really appreciate it so much, do you? Yeah, that's that's true, yeah. But it's also nice to have that distance from sort of crazy city life if you live just outside and you've got that yeah. doorstep yeah. if you need it. Um, so. Yeah, basically in the village, but it's more about potholes, and that's, that's the same of every village in the country, <laughs> I think. So. <laughs> that and the wonderful one-way traffic systems that they have in oh, Cambridge. I love all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're clearly making Cambridge somewhere that you um, you can't really drive in anymore. Which is, <laughs> yeah. uh, I also have a drum kit with me, so it's difficult to like cycle. Uh, to, but uh, yeah, I spent half my life sat in my car. I generally sort of made my car into like a second home. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got a shaver uh, in my car now. <laughs> uh, Moisturiser um, uh, and uh, mouthwash for some reason. Uh, deodorant, uh, car curtains. I don't know why I bought curtains for my car, but uh, there's this Chinese version of eBay and everything's really cheap, so I bought some. Uh, they got a bit addicted to that. Uh, and I kind of made my car as like a second home because I spent so much time in it just sat in traffic. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
not quite the tools for an apocalypse, but still, you're uh, prepared for yeah. something. Well, cool bugs, or, cool bugs make an emergency counter vet ball. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I can survive two days, I reckon, <laughs> and then we'll see what happens. Amazing. So um, what? Um, how did creativity enter your life? Was it? Um, what did it start? Did it start with music or did it start with writing? She started with writing. My my dad was a professional drummer, um, but mm. uh, so naturally you rebel against your parents and do the opposite. Uh, so um, I kind of knew that uh, being a musician was in my genes, but I was determined to do something else just in case uh, before eventually giving in, realising my, my, my GCSEs were terrible. Uh, and I was a good drummer, so I had to try and make a living out of that instead. Um, but before that, it sounds dark, but I was a very, very um, say lonely kid. I love the upbringing. My parents were amazing. But I was a school weirdo. Uh, I was very much the kid who would sit in the library whenever I was doing PE. I'd be writing meatloaf lyrics into a science textbook and stuff like that. You know, I was, I was a strange kid. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't really until I got sort of middle of secondary school I sort of made proper friends. Uh, so I never really went out with my friends because um, I just didn't, didn't like them. Uh, I wasn't the sort of people who were good, the sort of person who would go out and play football in the field and sort of be rough and ready. Um, I got really, really addicted to some mothers to have them instead, you know, the TV sitcom. Uh, I spent all of my childhood just watching that as my parents worried that I was a social <laughs> outcast I guess and so um and I, I used to really analyze it I used to be able to quote every word from every episode uh and 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 start to analyze the structure of the scripts and things like that which an average seven-year-old shouldn't be doing I realize that uh, but, um, so we kind of became a session and I started writing my own scripts um, uh, handwritten and I was looking at a typewriter for the days of the of computers um, for, for Christmas one day I was going to typewriter and some tipex to correct my mistakes because that's how you do it in those days and I started sending scripts to the BBC at the age of I think about 11 um, uh, <laughs> wow and they were um, uh, and they also they were, they were, they were, the scripts are terrible but they're, they're always very polite they can tell they've been written by, by a child uh, and, uh, and it's coming off about five, five years um, actually, recently, when we, we about three years ago, we, we bought his house. We had a bit of a clear out, and I found those massive ring binders full of my old scripts, and also my rejection letters that I had from the BBC back in the day. Brilliant. Um, uh, <laughs> I used to yeah, I sent them a lot of stuff, um, like too much, far too much, probably like twenty scripts a year, and they responded every time, which I thought was really. I don't know if it happened these days, but um, yeah. Uh, so I think that's just my way of, of keeping my brain active and kind of, sort of trying to learn my craft as well. I guess so. Yeah. Were you putting your age on this on this? No, script, no, 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 oh, no, wow. no, 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 um, uh, and then um, kind of got frustrated by it, and I guess that's why theatres sort of then, uh, I realised you can just, um, if, if no one's going to produce your work, you might as well produce it yourself, and that's kind of the, the journey that sort of went on from there. Yeah. And you were part of the very first show. But I feel we're skipping ahead, sorry. So, yeah. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. It's, well, I, I tend to flip-flop and go back and forth, so don't don't worry. <laughs> so it's all, it's, all, it's all loose here. Um, so... Uh, what was I going to say? What's, what was it about? What do you think? I mean, I I know it's. A, I think it's a fantastic show, and I think it's just wonderful writing and and actually some of the best acting you'll ever see. What yeah. What do you think it was about some others who haven't that that grabbed you? Um, um, I, I guess it was. It's, it's almost like a kid's show, isn't it? Uh, even though it's built for adults, but it, children could enjoy it. And at, at my age, I guess there's certain things that I couldn't, couldn't watch and wouldn't be allowed to watch. Uh, and some of those was like the acceptable face. So there's, there's no real innuendo. Um, it was like you're watching uh, an old school sort of Lauren Hardy or something like that. It's probably slapstick comedy. Mm. Um, 
But also, I guess I always saw myself growing up, uh, and probably still do, as a bit, bit of a, a loser. Uh, I'm very, very awkward, as you know. Uh, and Frank Spencer, although he was getting into those situations, he was still married to a beautiful lady. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I was like, how's that? How's that a thing? Uh, yeah, <laughs> constantly unemployed. Uh, and, and yet somehow, somehow owned a house. I mean, uh, I thought, okay, this 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 could be me. Uh, I was like, <laughs> um, Frank Spencer, or Ronnie Rosenthal uh, are like the two kind of uh, the footballer who had that famous open goal miss and yet still made a living out of being a footballer. I, I kind of, they're weird idols to have. Uh, but uh, yeah, and uh, someone who got into scrapes that always kind of survived. And uh, I think secretly I wanted to be that. I don't know. I kind of thought, well, I'm not going to be the cool kid in the class. Um, but if Frank Spencer can get, you know, get on with life still, that, that could be me. And, um, and it has <laughs> happened. It's amazing. I've got a beautiful wife. It's lovely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she's out at the moment. She's in church. But yeah, so cool. I think that was that was a beautiful analysis of some of us to And I think you're right. Like, yeah, when you look at it like that, it's quite, it's uh, very easy for um, uh, to to relate to. Um, but also to look at it, like somebody who's very socially awkward, um, who only, and it's quite, it's quite, there's a, a romantic element to it as well, in the way that he can only really be himself around his wife. Like she's the only one that, that will accept, accept him for who he is, and everyone else but, uh, it is, um, makes him feel like he's the outsider. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a brilliant show. And um, yeah, I don't want to watch it. He would just go, I'm a man. He would just have to say it out yeah. loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just but he's saying it, for him, saying it for himself. Not <laughs> reminding himself. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, I did a comedy workshop recently in my local theatre and um, we ended up doing a, uh, a scene from uh, from that. Uh, and everyone was doing it. And, and it was funny because I think only about myself and two other people actually knew what some others do happen was. So yeah. every, everyone's interpretation was very, very different. And until <laughs> until the guy got up and did like a spot on impersonation of um, Michael Crawford. <laughs> oh, uh, like all the pauses, all the looks, you know, the thing, you know, <laughs> it could be one line of dialogue, but it takes like a minute and a half to get out because he's just Yeah. <laughs> so I mean it's dated really badly. It's, it's it's on the Brit box now, which I which I enjoy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it has, I, I, I don't know if like introducing it to a younger audience would, would work because uh, even though the acting is a masterclass, there's, there's quite a lot of references that probably I wouldn't think be. so. But, but I, I, it's, it's, it works as a piece of history. Uh, I, I watch it for, yeah, as well as just enjoying it, but it feels real nostalgic as well. You know, I, I kind of, there's memories of childhood there, but then, um, uh, and also reading the, the backstory of how it happened in the first place, like uh, Raymond Norris, the writer. Uh, was working as a cleaner at the cinema and he was basically Frank Spencer himself and wrote about himself and then he got on TV uh, and um, he didn't quit his day job for two series because he assumed that the show would get cancelled so he was still working as a cinema cleaner uh, whilst the show was on TV and I thought that was just a really nice uh, uh, really humble of him to assume that at some point people will work out this isn't really funny even though it is but that's, that's how he assumed it would be so uh, yeah I love everything about it so yeah that's brilliant and um, were you? Are you an only child, Paul? Uh, no, I've got a sister. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but we. So uh, we she's very, sorry. Uh, she's very different to me. I think. <laughs> so uh, yeah. 
so not an only child, but uh, a sister is very uh, academic. Uh, four years older than me, lovely. No, 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 uh, not a bad word to say about her, but let's just me talk. Uh, so um, uh, yeah, no, she, she wasn't one that I could play with uh, growing up, I think. So uh, she was just always head buried in books. And, uh, and, and as a result, she's now very successful in something to do illegal stuff. I'm not entirely sure what she does. Uh, but <laughs> we speak every week. She's cool, but uh, she's still local. But uh, but yeah, so not your generic childhood or um, siblings bickering and all that stuff. I think we're all just very, very separate. Yeah. yeah. So you, would you say you got your creative side from your, from your dad, from, from the drumming? or? Yeah, mum and dad, I think um, they, they had to pay me a lot of attention as a child because I was one of those kids. Uh, <laughs> it feels like therapy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so I teach now in schools and, and you see it sometimes with kids who, um, you've you got your, your, your extroverts and then you've got your, your almost like your normal, can I say normal? Uh, normal children who are, are just learning and getting on well socially with everyone and they're the ideal students. And you've got two or three at the back who, um, who just are quiet and they're the ones that you kind of have to worry about um actually years ago uh, about two years ago uh i was out with my friend uh at just a part of cambridge and we worked out that his mum was one mouse teacher uh which really freaked me out uh <laughs> and um, then he went back and spoke to her about it and, and she said oh yeah yeah i remember paul richards uh academically underachieving absolutely no hassle and i think that was me <laughs> i still like that as a quote <laughs> so uh yeah and I think that was me as a child, uh, underachieving but no hassle, just just being quiet in the corner, but secretly writing everything down. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, 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 I can I can relate to that in a way. Um, I was quite well actually. I was quite chatty um, with with friends, but quite often in because I was an only child, um, I have to spend a lot of time uh, getting lost in my own imagination, and I would lose I would lose forty minutes in class just sat there daydreaming. Just thinking about stories or yeah. come up with things in my head. Like I'd look at the clock and it'd be, you know, I don't know, one o'clock, and then I'd look again and it'd be twenty to two, and wow. <laughs> yeah. and not done any work, just sat there. And it's it's as if um, it's kind of like an, an out of body experience. Not yeah, like yeah. not like I could see myself, um, but just like I wasn't, I didn't feel I couldn't. It's it's like yeah, like waking up from a dream almost and being like, oh, where yeah. did, where did I go? Um, Nicer world to be in. You, I think we're we're creatively we're just always um, uh, just bored of our surroundings and just trying to find a better world. Or it's, it's, <laughs> really particularly at school. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still friends with a few of my schoolmates, and uh, yeah, one, one of them's my best man, so it's lovely. So no offense to him, but everyone else I just couldn't get on with. I guess is uh, yeah. Um, do you worry that you're not in the in the present? Like I'm always like for the moment I'm I'm applying to fringe shows. I'm writing new shows, but my head is already in the show after. Uh, and uh, it, on stage last night with the band, I was still thinking about the thing I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, uh, and then actually the thing I was doing last night, I'll probably think about two days before that. Do you ever worry that your head is just never in the present moment? Which is it's a really bad. I think I, I need to get out of that. Yeah, I think it's I, I think when you're. When you're a natural sort of creative person, the way uh, the way you are, and, and and sort of the amount of work you put into your creativity, I think like the work is never finished. And I think, um, I I don't know. I mean, I feel what I always say to someone when they when uh, when I'm giving feedback on writing or talking about a, a piece of work, I always say like a piece of art is, is is never finished. Right, you can always add to it. I um I try and advise like uh 
if you want to finish something, just make sure you've eliminated all the negative aspects of it, everything that doesn't work for you. And if everything else works, of course, you can always make it better. Of course, you can always <laughs> add more. You can, yeah. write, you know, you can change all the elements as, uh, to make it better. But I think when it gets to the point where it's in really good shape and there's nothing there that you've got doubt over, then that's when it's finished. I think, um, I think I've mentioned this before, like I never work on one thing. I'm always no, 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 multiple no, projects because you also, you don't want to get, when you get stuck and we always get stuck on something we're writing or creating, um, it's nice to jump to something else that you've yeah, been working yeah. on or a different idea because then your mind is working slightly different. Um, and then when you come back, it's almost like your brain has had um, a bit of a reset and um, you've almost got a fresh pair of eyes for, for what you've gone back to look at for where, where you got stuck and then it's easy to work out. Uh, thinking ahead, like at this time of the year, I'm always, right now, I'm really looking forward to winding down this year and having a bit of a rest. And But at the same time, I've got about eight or nine different ideas for what I want to do next year already. Uh, November and December are dangerous months, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm already thinking, like, stuff I want to do. Like, I want to do another podcast. I want to do um, a, a collaboration with some friends on some short films. Um, I've got a one-man show I'm writing. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I yeah. can't... You don't ever... I think... People that are creative don't really switch off from, from thinking about ideas and wanting to yeah. express themselves. I, I genuinely tried to. I uh, After the summer, we um, uh, got back from the Emma Fringe and I, I I wrote the Christmas show, which is going to live in a couple weeks' time, uh, which I'm not in, which is nice because I've got too many words in my head. Uh, so I wrote it, cast it and all that stuff. That's up, up and running and that's lovely. Um, and then I thought, okay, we'll have a month off from doing it, just to try and just have a month of just, just doing a bit of teaching work uh, and um, and don't write anything for a month. Just see if you can do it. Uh, so I dug out Championship Manager 97, 98, the greatest game of all time. Uh, and then I, and I thought, okay, just uh, just just collect this, have a bit of a brain detox. Um, I've got post-it notes full of ideas all over this office at the moment. So see, it's a chaotic room. That I'm, this is the spare room, but this is also my uh, uh, sort of uh, room full of ideas. And, and it. it's, it's just uh, and on the other side of the screen, it's just whiteboards full of ideas. So, uh, but I thought, no, um, you write the ideas down, but don't write anything. I think I was writing too much this year, which is, if that's possible. Uh, and uh, so I played Championship Manager Nights of it just for a month. And then uh, end of November, start writing next year's shows. And uh, um, but then I got sacked to Spurs manager after two seasons. <laughs> I'm <laughs> really angry with the game, and I just started writing again. <laughs> so so uh, you can't switch it off, can you? So yeah, <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think you can. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's like it's it's the it's the safe space we create for ourselves, isn't it? like yeah. our imagination and, and 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 you know creating uh when we're writing um whether it's a play or tv or film whatever it's like this is kind of like this is my happy space so yeah, why, well, why would i want to give that up for a month yeah <laughs> it's like i, 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 I teach a uh, freelance teacher but i work quite long hours and uh, last week i had uh two off with covid which is because Apparently still a thing, uh, and uh, so I was home by seven o'clock, and in my head driving back, going, "Okay, now good, you've had a long week already." Uh, home, uh, lovely time. And what do you do when you get in if you're not doing stuff? Uh, I had my dinner, and I sat there with a beer, and I put on TV, and I thought, "Oh, 
is this, is this, what, is this what people do? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and, 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 I mean, that weird place where I moan about my schedule because I'm just always exhausted, but I'm terrible at having time off. I, I, on my honeymoon, went to, to a beach for two weeks and I was the worst. <laughs> I've been grateful. <laughs> Antigua. Uh, and, and I was just pacing around the beach. <laughs> I, I, was, I was awful. And um, yeah, my wife actually said this year um, that she won't go on holiday with me again. Uh, because uh, yeah, <laughs> we, went, we went glamping, and after four days, I was just so restless, and I asked to come home, uh, and uh, which is really, uh, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah, how do people not create? I, I start kind mm. of it's, yeah. uh, it's like you can sit and read; that's good. You can feed the brain. You can listen to music, I suppose. But there has to be more than one thing going on. I enjoy TV shows, but I can't just sit and watch the TV. That's that's not how it works. Surely, it surely has to have a laptop with you and just like getting ideas down and stuff. So it's uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we have to keep working just because, as you say, it's our it's our, it's our place to go, isn't it? It's our, it's our happy place. I think the only other thing I would say is that um, it, you can you can still be in that creative mode without uh, maybe sort of putting the pressure on yourself to be to actually be like uh, writing or thinking of, of something. I think yeah. like mm, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean, I guess uh, as an actual writer, I am very much an observer. Like I love to watch people all the yeah. time and go. So I think it's important to um i don't mean this in the way it comes out but it's important to have a life like because yeah. things feed so many things feed into that and experiences um in that that will feed into your storytelling and um it is good to switch off but i also i don't go anywhere with that little notepad with me yeah you know you know because i, I know i'm going to think of something that i'm going to need to write down i know i'm yeah. going to see something i know i'm going to see someone walking in the street who might be dressed in a certain way which will spark my interest and then i'll be like oh i wonder like what does this person do for a living and um where have they come from today where are they going it, you know so you don't really ever switch off but also i think yeah it's it's finding that balance sometimes when you do need a bit of time out um yeah like I've taken time out from acting, but then I've stupidly started up this podcast, which has taken over my life. <laughs> yeah. So um I'm I guess I'm getting a break from one thing, but uh uh and I'm, I'm still guess... I'm still getting my creative buzz from another. There, there was also said to me that uh, I kind of felt sometimes that either the music or the theatre stuff and the comedy stuff was going well, but neither at the same time. At the moment I think they're both okay. But I always felt like if the band were like we were touring China a few years ago and having the biggest thing of our careers and played to thousands of people on the loveliest time. And then my writing stuff was just nah, no one liked it at all. And then when my play was a hit, the band got quiet and I, I always wanted to um have both on full pelt at all times. And maybe they are, but I always like to favour one as well. But I guess that's the creativity thing as well. So you know taking a break from the writing and we'll tour the band or something like that as well. So yeah. I think we we were just naturally busy people, aren't we? So yeah. Yeah. I, well what you the podcast we make the acting is it? yeah. So yeah. But for me, it's like having to do something creative all the time. Um, yeah. it, uh, otherwise, I'll just lose my mind. <laughs> I just, I just that, that's like that's my therapist who I don't have to pay for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so it's interesting. You, you you seem to be influenced by sitcoms, but you uh, writing wise, you opted for stage when you started to get into writing. Yeah, that I. Uh... Uh, again, uh, pure accident. I was uh, a very long time ago now. Uh, I was 
uh, stuck in this this office job uh, printing sewage maps, um, <laughs> which is uh, glamour uh, for, for Anglian water, and just going to work every day and printing up maps of sewage, and then coming home again and writing and getting nowhere with it. And and, and uh, yeah, I thought about well, my eight wing binder rejections, uh, <laughs> but it didn't stop me. Uh, I got stuff, and then there was a, a call out for Menagerie Theatre in Cambridge, who, who are still. Um, they had, had a huge amount of time for because they, they were kind of responsible for everything I do now. I think uh, they um, they they think for bursary writers and uh, send an example of your work, and then we'll, we'll if if we like what you do, we'll sort of um, pick them on this this very very long course every every weekend for about eight weeks I think it was, um, and we'll we'll tell it yeah work work with you basically. And um, and so I sent in a sitcom script because that's what I'd written at that point, uh, and um, and they they saw enough in that uh, from, from a theatrical point of view said okay. He writes comedy, but we could. This could be staged. Uh, never occurred to me that could be a thing. Um, I was. I just. I, I grew up watching TV, and the theatre was just a world I didn't know at all. Um, and it was very strange because I then had to go on this writing course full of amazing young writers. We were like the best young writers in the country. None of us made it, but it's. Uh, but we were like twenty-one years old, uh, and. Um, and amazing tutors like Fraser Grace, who's done a lot of uh, sort of uh, West End stuff, like Warbase stuff. Well. Um, and, and I was always a bit like at school. I was a slightly odd character uh, in the group because they, everyone else in the group, was very, very theatrical uh, and, uh, and and producing what was proper theatre. And I was there trying to write the next bottom, basically. I was just, I was just but yeah. Bottom is like set in one room, uh, so I figured that one room could be a stage, and um, and I think I came across really well by accident, just by doing what I do naturally. Uh, but they they taught me that what I do could be staged, and you don't have to wait for the big wigs at the BBC uh, to to um, to like you and put it on for you. Uh, they you can just get a bunch of actor mates uh, and put it on stage yourself and charge tickets to the Edinburgh Fringe, and it kind of just spiraled from there. Um, uh, and actually, weirdly, the the actor who was was in my piece because seeing it work stage for the first time, it's a massive moment, isn't it? And, and yeah, because at the end of the course, he has to do like a ten minute play that you've been working on throughout the whole the whole course. Uh, so a guy called Matt Brown, who I'm sure you you know Matt. Uh, he's been a guest on this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's in a film we just worked on, so he's uh, yeah. <laughs> I bump into him in Asda quite often. So so outside supermarkets, it tends to be. Uh, so um, uh, yeah, he was in my first thing that I wrote, and it's really nice symmetry every now and then just to bump into him still because um, he's a top top level actor, isn't he? So uh, yeah. Yes. But um, uh, I guess that's just because I'm very, very lucky when the first thing you've written is performed by an actor of that calibre. You don't realise at the time, you assume that's what they're all like. Uh, we've got someone that good on stage making you work that amazing. And, okay, <laughs> this is great. This is the future. And then uh, the plan was, was then to pick uh, enough people to, to like it in theatre, to get to attract TV people and then turn it into sitcoms. And it never, it's, it, there's been moments where people have come to watch me. Uh, I, I call producers have given me their card and said some of some stuff. Then it's haven't liked what I've written. But I've, I've had foots in doors and there's still foots in doors all the time. Um, it's just things haven't quite got over the line. But yeah, there, there's still plenty of uh, people interested, I think. It's just uh, writing something you actually like. <laughs> it's, the, uh, it's, it's, it's always the issue. But yeah. So after, so after you did this course, you then got. Uh, I mean, yeah, you started producing your own your own stuff. Like you said, you started to get friends in yeah, yeah, yeah. and go to the fringe. When was the first time you went to the fringe? It was with you. Uh, so that was the uh, first time. But I went there as, uh, as a drummer the year before. Um, oh. uh, we were uh, we were on tour as a band, and um, I didn't know really know what the, what, what the fringe was. Uh, and so um, I just heard this, this big, glamorous, exciting world. And I went up there with a the band, and we played in a sports bar. 
and the gig was rubbish but and then um because we're playing so much drunks in the corner but then i started watching stuff i was, I was saying for three days afterwards uh and just watched lots of plays or so down i thought okay next year i'm bringing the show back here uh <laughs> i to my friends at the pub go, you can't do that it's not how it works I said, yeah yeah i can i can i can and uh, and i i it's not a way to live your life but i did it to, to prove my friends wrong uh, as I, I i my first end of the show was purely out of spite uh just to, <laughs> to, to, to uh, that, that's if it gets the job done um uh, yeah, so that was 2005, wasn't it? We did uh, uh, Growing Up With Martin, which I have a flyer for. Um, I've still got the review. I've still got yeah, that so nice like, three-star uh, review that we got. Is that one? <laughs> um, hang on, hang on. Was, uh, not great for podcasts, I realise this. Sorry. No, don't worry. <laughs> it, the review was there anyway. Uh, yeah, that's my first review. And uh, oh. uh, yeah, you, you were in it. So thank you for, for being started that journey and starting my um, addiction to losing money. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a great experience. I have to say, actually, um, for anyone that's never been to the Edinburgh Fringe, just as going as a spectator, I mean, it's become... So we went in, what, 2005, blimey. Um, it has become so expensive um, to, to go there, even as a spectator. Uh, I mean, back when we went, I think shows ranged from, like, being free pay what you want to like 12 quid a ticket um and then sort of yeah there were other things like gigs and things could be like 35 pound a ticket which at the time was still I mean I couldn't afford that um but other than my wedding day Edinburgh Fringe I would say has been the most the next most positive experience um we were lucky the week we were up there the Fringe was on it was the international festival, the film festival, and the music festival. It was all happening at the same time. And I remember yeah. the streets were just buzzing with creatives. And obviously, you've got everyone touting their shows. Um, and I think that was, uh, for me, that was a um, uh, a bit of a culture shock because I was like, oh, well, we just, you know, we've, you've organized it, we've, we've got the venue, and um, people just turn up, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, we have to go out there every day and tell people to come and see our show. Yeah, yeah, it's mean, still, still not a strong point for me, though. But uh, yeah, it's that, that self promotion stuff is a whole new <laughs> podcast in itself. I think how to promote the show <laughs> as awkward, humble people that we are, you know. It's, um, <laughs> We, uh, I, I, I guess if that had been if that had gone terribly, I probably would have done it again, and then I would still be writing. I don't know. I wouldn't this this, this sort of bitter old man who dreams of being a writer to do it. Um, we had a lovely run early. It's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, in, in in retrospect, we felt quite stressful at the time for, for various reasons. But it was um, it, it's uh, the, the the show itself. You know, we had crowds in. I'd, I'd still kill for that sort of numbers. Uh, now you know, it's uh, um, we only get sort of fifteen in a day when there's a thousand other things happening at the same time. That's that's a miracle how they um, people said. And that venue that venue got knocked down a year later. By the way, I don't know if you know that. No. Uh, it, it was um, structurally unsafe. Uh, so we were the we were the last sort of run there. So um, so yeah, that makes me proud. I still walk past it every year. Uh, and um, that just started this addiction of okay, there's there's lots of people um, like me. There's a comedian called Stuart Goldsmith who's, who's, who's massively popular, and um, he said in the podcast once that the Fringe is the only place that feels normal. It's that like one month a year mm. where actually this is this hits people and then the rest of the year he kind of just like getting through and he goes to the fringe and he's like okay i'm home now this is it so everyone who who, who maybe struggled at school or didn't quite fit in with the world this is where we all meet up this is our our safe place so yeah well it's like it's yeah. like edinburgh fringe is like 
is the church and the religion is new writing and it's great that so many people turn out to see new writing yeah um and it, and it does happen in sort of bigger cities in london and uh in manchester and well, brighton's really uh brighton fringe is amazing brighton has really come up yeah i remember we were talking about brighton fringe back then it was just sort of a, a year or two after it was just beginning wasn't it i think um, yeah, and, 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 and yeah, I do Brighton Fringe every year, and every, every year I'm kind of just uh, thinking, okay, it's, it's a warm up Edinburgh. And then this year we did it, I took, I took four shows up, obviously, because that's, that's what I do. Uh, and uh, and everything went really well. I thought, okay, is this the new Edinburgh? Is Edinburgh getting outpriced? Uh, Brighton it felt like what Edinburgh almost used to be, or what the, the, the idea for Edinburgh actually was. Um, for the first time, it's like uh, there's actually competition for it. So, um, again, that's probably for a whole different day to discuss that, but uh, different fringes. Uh, um, but yeah, Brighton Fringe is amazing, and uh, I can't wait to um, lose money there as well now. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. If I mean, you're right. But talking about Fringe and organising a Fringe show, it could be a, a whole podcast in its entirety. Do you think you could uh, come up with a couple of tidbits or little sort of just um, bits of advice for people that are thinking about maybe putting on Fringe shows somewhere? Fringe tips. Yes. Yeah, like so, so a couple of do's and don'ts maybe that you would, um, with your vast experience of them. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, expectations reasonable. I think that's always the uh, the key thing. Don't uh, go there thinking you're going to be spotted. Uh, I was actually chatting to uh, a couple sort of bigger producers a couple of years ago, saying, "Come and see me at the Fringe," and they kind of said, "We'll see you anywhere but the Fringe uh, now because um, everyone wants us to go to the Edinburgh Fringe, so we'll go there and get uh, basically exhausted watching ten shows a day. Uh, and if you're show number eight, we're, we're not going to be laughing anymore at that point. Uh, so, so um, yeah, invite us to a London preview or, or a show somewhere else specifically. Uh, that so um, don't go there assuming you're going to get famous." Don't go there uh, expecting to get a big audience. Um, don't go there expecting to make any money whatsoever. And that all sounds incredibly negative. Um, but and, and also, Fred said to me the other day, um, uh, Rob Coleman, brilliant comedian, said, don't do the fringe if it's something that you just do. Mm. He said, don't do the fringe because I do it every year. He said, that can't be a reason to go to the fringe. I really like that. Because I, I think I've, I've been guilty of that over the years. So go there if you've got an idea that you're really excited about and you want to show the world and you feel that it's got legs and, and you go there to develop and become a better performer because of it. Because where else would you get to perform a show 24 days in a row? Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, and, and where else do people see you for 24 days in a row? Um, for our egos, that's amazing. But um, if you're going there because, oh, I did a fringe every year, that's what I do. Uh, and you go, kind of half-hearted material but you feel like it's just part of your routine then that's that's, that's just a way of losing thousands of pounds isn't it you might have just gone holiday obviously i don't like those but um so yeah <laughs> i think all expectations you know uh the, the joy at the fringe is in the unexpected guest slots that you do or uh, the, the random famous person you always be a particularly famous actor in our, our audience issue i won't say who it is just in case um but i mean you didn't, didn't like it that's what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you can say it is about bleep it out <laughs> Uh, we, 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 I'll tell you off, off, off uh, on a, so, okay. uh, we, um, 
we I had two shows in Edinburgh this year, which is, is quite big. It's almost like a year off. And I had my, my main show and then uh, a show with my mate Alex, which is a two-hander, which um, I had the offer for four weeks before the festival started. So it wasn't in the main book. It was in the back room of a pub. And it was basically a sketch show in which we get through 12 plays an hour. And... Wow. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I wrote it on a Sunday. Uh, it was the whole thing. <laughs> and, and we were both like, having to wing it quite a lot. And it, it kind of felt like a skeleton script uh, around it. But we had a lot of fun with it. Alex spent most of the show dressed as a printer and I was just tagging him. Uh, and uh, and audiences liked the, uh, the, the the very, very DIY nature in which we worked. And then you had this famous actor in the front row just like, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> But his mate was loving it, and I really enjoyed that. <laughs> and, uh, he still gave a ten in a bucket at the end, so we're fine. But it was—you can see him just looking like, I, I, "What? Why? What? What are you doing? This is acting. This is the play." And um, so, <laughs> I, I secretly I quite enjoyed that. You know, it's um, yeah, and that is, it, I, I go to the fringe because I've got a lot of mates who, who do shows every year, and it's our, our, our little place to. To catch up as well as uh, and and there has been some career development. It's, it's kind of stalled slightly, I think, but uh, uh, but yeah, go there to to become a better performer. Is, is the short answer to all that. So yeah, and I mean, so when I, when I, when I used to live in Cambridge, when I used to go to the Fringe, I know you know you were sort of taking up maybe one show, and then I don't know maybe you'd be doing a gig as well whilst you're up there as well. Yeah. Um, but, but I know you mentioned already like you've taken multiple shows to a fringe yeah. festival yeah. um what what i mean <laughs> what would compel you to do so <laughs> something so insane like that <laughs> what else would you do? How, how do you <laughs> how do you manage multiple shows like different so that's different plays or yeah that... i mean I, I have this um so very rude is quickly so I, I think i saw them at my front door yeah, um, sure, no worries. Uh, no, no, but I was going check my hive cam, but it may just be my next door neighbour doing DIY. Um, so let <laughs> me really see. Um, is that. That was me. Sorry, sorry to really hold posters. No, it? no, it's fine. We love an interruption. I've, 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 my postman's disturbed this podcast uh, a few times already, so don't worry. Uh, it's my next door neighbour doing DIY, isn't it? Um, so I've got an um, a, a Amazon delivery coming through soon, and it's a, it's a pigeon. <laughs> it's a pigeon in front of the hive camera. Sorry, um, multiple shows. Uh, the um, uh, yeah, I I just like to challenge myself. I, I started doing two shows a day. Um, I, I don't know what works. I think it's the the, the honest answer that I, I try a lot of stuff. And my my hit shows, I've got two now, I think, out of the uh, 16 years, um, <laughs> and uh, multiple shows for each year. Uh, my two hit shows were, were shows that didn't think had legs going into Edinburgh, and then the press have loved it, and, and films were made out of it and stuff. I'm very, very excited by that. But going into Edinburgh Run, I always would have thought the other show would have been the one that people liked, and actually people just walked out during it instead. So I can't tell. Uh, so I, I like the throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks uh, mm. mentality. Um, I do it too much. I'm aware of that. The quality does go down, um, but uh, but sometimes you get the unexpected treat where it does work. Um, I'm I'm quite relentless. My record is eight shows a day uh, for a month. Um, that was, me. I know that was the year I caught shingles uh, <laughs> during the fringe, <laughs> and it was it was sort of start of week three, and I went to see a doctor up there, and he looked at my schedule and kind of said, "Well, you've done this to yourself, mate. You know, it's, it's, no 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 sympathy." Wow. Um, <laughs> 
Um, he gave me some codeine and said, "Look, you're you're clearly not the sort of person that's going to cancel this right now. You're enjoying yourself, but you can, you know, you can, you're so drained you can barely walk." So I did all my shows, sat down, uh, and and told any pregnant ladies not to come in because that could be fatal. Uh, so, which is a weird disclaimer uh, to have on the door of a French show saying, "Look." <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 pregnant lady, please. Let's uh, <laughs> just see what happens. And uh, I was just a horrible, rashy lad struggling for energy. But um, so that was the point of point where it's going too far. That was 2018, where it was eight But next year, I'm going to do 10. Yes. Uh, I'm, going, I'm going back. I'm not lazy. Um, this year, I only did two, and that's boring. I just kind of felt lazy. Um, I, I want to go full pelt again. Um, I, I think if you've got the ideas to do it, why not? Like, no one else would let me do it, anywhere else in the country. Um, and, and so uh, they they book me to do stuff. I ask people, and they say, yes, I have a venue. And then uh, and I ask them more, and they keep saying yes. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I like the idea of breakfast theatre, and then sort of matinee theatre. Then early afternoon shows, and then an early evening show, and then a couple of late night rowdy things, and <laughs> and, and the, the day goes, doesn't it? It, it? It's like a victory to get over 100 performances in a month. <laughs> I think. That, <laughs> is that normal? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, what what's fascinating about that is um, I've worked in in, in theatres in London for many years now, and um, I've been working like in West End theatres where on, on big big productions where uh like every six months they tend to do like a cast change and um i was uh working on one show and the new cast that came in for like uh, they didn't change the principal cast but mostly the, the ensemble were all straight out of drama school and they could not hack doing eight shows a week the stamina to do 10 shows a day paul <laughs> <laughs> It's no wonder you would get something like shingles. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, no, no, I know what was wrong with that. I, I was, <laughs> I, I wasn't drinking enough water. Uh, the accommodation was, was a cock up, uh, and so I, I think. It is possible to eight, eight to ten shows a day as long as you you do get someone to rest and and I wasn't having that during during uh, a shingles gate yeah so um we uh, I, I messed up the coordination we, we were bedroom short <laughs> before we got there and <laughs> we were had a cast as well for one of my shows uh, and so I wanted to give the uh, the ladies their, their their space so they all had private rooms uh, and then I I slept in the lounge. Um, but then the show that we, we was doing with them uh, wasn't a hit at all. It was, in fact, really, really struggling. And it was confusing because we had an amazing cast and a lovely director, but just the venue wasn't right and no one came to see it. And so we'd have these emergency meetings. Uh, but the communal place seemed to be my bedroom, which was the lounge, the sofa. Uh, and so, uh, and we're having meetings till two, three in the morning to try and like desperately salvage this, this horrible month that we're having. Uh, and so I just never slept. And I think that was what blamed the shingles. Well, they're doing eight shows a day. We, I, I, <laughs> there was just no... Um, I, I've learned that you can, if you can save up and spend a bit more on accommodation and have your own private bathroom and your own safe place where you can just shut off the world. I think that's a key part. I mean, even when, when Aggie, my wife, came up for two days this year, I, no offence to her, I really got stressed out uh, because <laughs> I like going back to my room and then go, ah, 
and just and just turning off the world. Uh, and and Aggie came in and was was chatting away about the dog and stuff and and, and all the lovely domestic things we have in our wonderful life outside of the fringe. And I kind of I almost didn't need that at that point. I just got I need my space. And I think um, I could do ten shows a day next year. I'm confident on that. As long as I get a chance to just go back and have a nap in, in between them. Um, the only downside is that you don't see anything. Can actually you when you, when you see stuff, your your creative brain. Um, mm. gets triggered again and you kind of become almost self-obsessed with the, with the idea of what you think works and it, it's really nice to see all the stuff obviously uh, so uh, yeah but I, I think it's possible next year I'm going full belt so yeah but stamina not be able to do eight, eight, eight shows in a week I mean what's all these people come on <laughs> it's yeah like... it's really interesting it's kind of you know you just especially with the straight out drama school you just think what if you just given up like money for like what what, what have you yeah, learned yeah. what have you learned there because obviously i think they teach you all the great techniques and stuff but i don't think they there's no there doesn't seem to be any sort of management happening into all the other things you need to think about uh, uh, to survive in this business um so what, um, so, if you're doing, so if you're doing one show a day you're not in like the fringe so you're not like surrounded by art what, what do you do during the day then i mean i i, I get some people in in, in these kind of uh, financial times we have to have a second job uh i guess but uh yeah well at the start you'll be doing lots of rehearsals so it'd be you know you'd, you'd be rehearsing sort of 10 till six or something and then you know you have a break and then and then you do a show i guess um it's yeah what when you first start on a company um but yeah yeah it was just fascinating that people couldn't sort of deal with that uh and the repetitive element of it i guess um, is it like um, at the moment what I what I do is almost like it's, it's, uh, a lot of football analogies. Uh, I kind of feel like I'm sort of scraping around the non-league still, but um, getting you a bit of attention every now and then, a bit of an <laughs> FA, uh, FA Cup moment perhaps. Uh, and I'm not saying that the, these West End actors are pampered, I don't upset anyone, um, but they have a slightly better quality of life. Uh, and, and also they're working to a much Premier League higher level. Um, <laughs> <laughs> their shows are seen by thousands of people, not 15 people in a bar. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, if I'm, I'm a bit like a Jamie Vardy, uh, you're kind of like uh, head down, batting through it, drinking lots of Red Bull, apparently. Uh, I used to drink lots of Red Bull, um, Jamie Vardy. Uh, so, no, Jamie, uh, you know, yeah, yeah and uh, Jamie Vardy. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I see myself as that rather than Beckham. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. But um, what, what was going to ask? Uh, when, when you've taken multiple shows, for a, for a fringe, do you use the same company or is it different cast? Or uh, quite often a solo, uh, so it's all my own fault. Ah, uh, right, okay. So uh, yeah, and then uh, I'll do a duo show with my mate Rachel, Rachel Krieger, amazing. Uh, um, uh, sort of most, uh, we do like a history of pop musical show, uh, which was my solo show originally, and and she was a guest one day, and she kind of just did it better than me, uh, and so she's now, and then it got to the point where I didn't enjoy doing the show anymore because we had it for four years, uh, and then so she just kind of um, takes over, and I'm just the awkward man on stage with her, and um, <laughs> again my head's probably in the, the next show I'm doing that day, um, but I think it kind of works that way, uh, and then um, yeah, the cast stuff kind of, I went for a phase of just doing solo shows. And I realised I just miss hanging out with people as much as I sound in my space. We also want that 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 struggle together. Um, and now I've got the balance of uh, it's, it's purely 50-50. I write shows with people, uh, but I'm also on stage constantly myself as well. I think it's the right uh, the right place to be in. Um, where there's some stuff that's out of your control and enough stuff to salvage it again. So yeah, amazing. Well, always, uh, 
always self-funded, always, um, uh, yes, yeah, so my own company is the short answer to that, but different organisations within the fringe, there's the free fringe and the paid fringe, which is, again, is a whole new, uh, a quite different podcast in itself, but it's, uh, yeah, there, there's different levels of how you want to do it and, and different approaches, and I, I, I naturally try all of them <laughs> just, to, uh, just to see what works, so, yeah. Can you, can you start on the difference between the free fringe and the paid fringe? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're they're both they both have merits. I think uh, the the free fringe is a wonderful thing. Um, uh, there's two types of free fringe: there's the PBH free fringe, and then there's the other one that we don't talk about uh, because I'm very very loyal to PBH free fringe. Uh, so PBH okay. is Peter Buckley Hill, uh, who's this, uh, this, this 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 lovely mad um, a, a friend of mine, a comedian um, who one day realised I think it's late eighties early nineties that the fringe was getting too expensive for people. Mm. Uh, so so he decided to do a free show which no one was doing at that point no one at all so he set up peter buckley hell and some comedians in, in, a, in a venue and it was pay what you want and it became really popular because people even then were like spending too much money you know so it's all relative now but if you're spending six pounds a day on a show to watch that you've seen five shows a day mm. back in those days that's a lot of money when yeah, things were, yeah. yeah and then inflation and stuff and so he came and said he then he started putting on a show for someone else as he was doing his own show and also promoting a, a friend who was doing it and then gradually it took off as the free fringe which became i think it's about forty percent of the end of my fringe now it's free and that's all because of peter's idea that's fantastic uh, and then um some people felt they could do it uh better so they formed their own breakaway free fringe right. uh that, that's yeah and i'm sure they're very good and i don't have any personal against them but also friends of peter uh and so i hear that one side of the argument that he started it and that other people call themselves a free fringe uh um but obviously yeah the more free venues are giving people opportunities to promote the better so i guess the scale of things has worked out you know uh okay but uh so with a fringe you don't pay for the venue so it makes it uh, accessible for performers to try out their work and, and, and not just try out, but show polished works as well in a venue where you're not spending thousands of pounds and losing thousands of pounds on the off, or you're losing money on this program entry and accommodation, which is, is still a ridiculous uh, stinger. Um, as a result of that, though, you, you can't charge for tickets to the door. Uh, there's a donations bucket at the end. So yeah. it's accessible for the performer and accessible for the audience member. Uh, I think that's just a lovely deal all around. Uh, the negatives of this, and I, it shouldn't really be a negative, is that you get put in unconventional venues mm. because um, uh, the, the promoter, which is technically free fringe, um, they, they're not paying money on a nice... Uh, it's a room that has uh, sound, uh, no, no sound bleed, and everything's sort of self-contained, so you're not getting bleed from the bar and all that stuff. So um, uh, soundproofing is obviously a big thing at the fringe when you've got so many venues being crammed into one. At the free fringe, you're typically put in a, in a, a venue at the back of a bar. Uh, my venue did with them this year was uh, there's a bar and then a curtain, and also you'll start the curtain doing a show. Uh, and so, uh, and when there's football going on in the bar you have to work really hard to, to fight the noise. Um, uh, and quite often there's four shows going on at the same time uh, and you're kind of fighting with space, but that's kind of the, uh, the camaraderie that comes with it as well. Um, but you're not paying for it, so you can't complain. You definitely can't complain about that at all, you know, because you have no right to complain when you're not spending a single penny on it, really. So um, uh, Free Fringe, I, I think, works really well for stand-up comedians. Uh, Given a microphone, you can shout at people for an hour or, or musical comedy like I do. I think it's a really nice place because the audience uh, are with you and it doesn't matter if there's a bit of bleed or if, if Hibs score against Celtic uh, in the bar next door. And uh, yeah, You can make it like <laughs> that. Um, if you're doing serious theatre, it doesn't work as well. Uh, they, they're very considerate to what they do theatre with the Free Fringe, but they put you slightly further out of town where there's likely to be less, less 
excess noise, but obviously then you've got a struggle to get audiences in because you're you're further out of town. Um, or you've got the patronage, uh, which I also do, and uh, for my 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 serious theatre uh, shows I like to do, and uh, and for that I, I I lose far too much money, uh, but I'm given a room which I I'm, I'm guaranteed will work for the show that I've written, uh, and there'll be a bit of PR goes into it as well. The venue will do a bit of PR for you. You're you're guaranteed a good two hour tech, uh, which for the free fringe you, you, they can't do because they're, they're cramming a lot in. Mm. And that's the, you get your 15 minutes and that's it. Uh, with, with the patron, you, you get two hours to, to walk around, which I never need two hours. I, uh, they're mostly solo shows. I turn up and go, yeah, it's a room, it's fine. Uh, and let's announce up the space. But it's uh, two hours, you get tech support, you you charge for tickets, you're, you can look up online how many tickets to sell before a show, which is really nice. So you know if you need to go and fly that day. Sometimes I look up and go, oh, I've sold 20 tickets today. I can't be asked to fly that. Uh, other days I think I've got three in and the press. Uh, and so you better go and <laughs> Oh, so the free thing is just walk in and walk out whenever you want, uh, and so it's it's almost like basking in a really cool way. Um, um, so they they both have their merits. Uh, financially, the patronage uh, there's different levels to it. I'm sort of a low level of patronage, uh, where I'll typically spend about two grand on a venue for a month, which isn't bad in fringe terms. But still, it's two thousand pounds. That's a lot of money. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'll typically make about a thousand five hundred quid back, um, having worked my ass off. So uh, and that feels like the victory. Totally lose 500 quid which is strange itself actually to, to only lose 500 but um uh so yeah and uh, but um i've had lovely experiences with a patron uh, less so this year i've got to be honest but that's a different story but i think it's just the show wasn't great um but uh, I, my, my my success that's come with the film stuff which we're gonna get to in a bit uh and that's all come from a show i did at the patron so i'm very very grateful for that but learning to be a performer um with the free fringe, you're amazing, and the free fringe give me more opportunities as well. They 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 let me do stuff, and let me try out stuff. And uh, I've had shows that I've I, I've tailored during the run, which I probably couldn't do with a paid fringe show. I know it sounds weird, but with the free fringe stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, that didn't work today. But the audience don't have to pay, uh, so there's no no pressure. Uh, uh, and then I would tweak the show accordingly till it becomes a show that I'm proud of, um, which it should be before you go into it, but it doesn't work that way, I'm sure. So, yeah. And when it when it comes to um when it comes to the venue that you get does that um how much power as someone who's applying to uh, go to fringe do, do you have over the kind of venue you can perform in or does it depend on how much money you have um money it was more size of room so I, I don't know why anyone would ever book a two hundred capacity venue at the fringe mm -hmm. because you're not going to sell it unless you're you're a household name. But I know people who do. Uh, I've got friends who have struggled that way, thinking, yeah, yeah, I've got to get to a capacity room and then spend 10 grand on it. <laughs> and then you get your 18 people in every day and have a whole demoralising run. Uh, so I always go for, for the 30 capacity studio spaces. Um, yeah. Yeah, certain venues, there's the, the, the big four, which is the Pleasance, the Gilded Balloon, and, um, and yeah, there's, uh, yeah, the other two. <laughs> but all under the same brackets, they they, they cost a lot of money. Uh, uh, they're talking sort of minimum 12 grand. Uh, for that, though, people go, oh, he's in the Pleasance Courtyard. He must be amazing, and you'll they'll go and watch it. Um, with that, though, you're guaranteed press, and if you're not ready for the press, they tend to come early on as well. Uh, it's a whole new level of pressure. You have to, uh, if you're doing that, you have to have the show for two years, and you're really, really prepared mm. for the sort of about to happen for you. And it's, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you've the show two years in advance, who works on stuff for that long? Um, so yeah, I, I tend to usually about sort of November time think about what I want to do, um, and I've got 
yeah, it's too many ideas for next year uh, already. And then think about what would work with, with, with my free fringe stuff. I can be a bit shoutier. Uh, what would work with uh, a quieter room, but how much money can I afford to lose? How many more students can I take on before now and then? How do I justify it to my wife? How do, and, yeah, there's lots of <laughs> there's lots of issues, isn't there? You know, to uh, to to consider. But um, but yeah, money is basically everything, isn't it? So it's just, it shouldn't be. But yeah, it is. And lastly, how far in advance do you advise booking accommodation if you're like, particularly if you're going out to Edinburgh? Which is oh, it's, it's, it's most people say like if you know like even like now in November um, that you're going to do the fringe, just just book accommodation now uh, because. Uh, but I I disagree with that because I I famously leave everything late all the time, uh, <laughs> and I've always got away with it. Even this year, um, my my accommodation fell through in early August, which. Before I went up, uh, they 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 double booked me, and that that that's a fear, uh, obviously because um, it, it's really expensive, and you, you go on like booking.com and see like nine grand, and, you know, for, like it's, it's ridiculous, uh, uh, and it, there's lots of last minute deals just pop up where people do drop out and realise they can't do it. Um, obviously, look in advance, uh, and if you can see something that's reasonable price, just try and be on it. Because um, I, I don't know if I can get away with booking things in advance. It, it, that that short notice every year, there'll be a point where I get found out. <laughs> and uh, but I've also been very, very lucky. Um, but uh, uh, but also be wary of scammers as well because there's a lot of um, right. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of people realise that actually the fringe accommodation is like gold to us. So like uh, on certain websites, you, you go to to search for accommodation, and people just, these places don't exist. They, and, and you pay a deposit, and these people disappear. And there's there's a there's a lot to be wary of. So yeah, um, student digs are the way to go. I, I, I like student digs. Uh, United students are amazing. And actually, this year I was very lucky where the uh, the lady I booked through last time uh, said to me, I assume you're sorted by now, Paul, but I said someone drop out. I said, I'm not sorted. <laughs> so she's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> so, Why? Okay, we worked out well for both of us. So, uh, yeah, so I got very lucky. But, yeah, but yeah, as, as, as far in advance as you can, I think it's probably the, the safest, normal person way to do it. Brilliant. Well, great. That's a great advice there on, on the fringe. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the tack now. And ask, <laughs> and ask you how you um how you dealt creatively during the COVID pandemic, how that affected uh, you. Terribly, uh, really. Um, I, I I was lucky enough to get the government grants, like a lot of people did, because I'm self-employed, uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to work on Zoom, um, and it gave me a lot of free time. So yeah, so I spent a lot of time sat in, in traffic in Cambridge getting lesson to lesson while I teach and actually on Zoom I uh, it's literally like next one next one next one it's all like kind of an office job again uh so financially I, I, I was incredibly lucky I actually probably made more money than I do now uh, during the pandemic which is a strange well, for you, for the only people to benefit from it because I didn't spend any money on fuel. Uh, so, but it did mean that my days were, my working days were much shorter. I kind of just teach from ten till three. That's um, and uh, and I probably made the same money as I do now, working sort of nine till nine. Uh, and so I had a lot of time. And at the start, I was like, okay, this isn't gonna last long. In, enjoy the moment off, just just catch up on some Netflix, or whatever. You know, it's not really strong point in mind, but I think actually uh, we're about to move house at times, do a bit of packing, and then it just went on and on and on. And then I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to write the the the, the, the next show and really write a novel and do all this good. And then I, I didn't cope with it at all because I couldn't see that it was gonna end. Uh, I think we assumed that, the, that it got to the point where the pandemic started, we're never gonna be allowed out ever again. 
Uh, and if we do, the the the, the theatres won't exist. The, the spaces won't be there for us to perform in. Mm. And um, and I stopped writing. Uh, it's uh, I had no ideas, and um, but I, I looked at stuff I did write during the pandemic, and none of it went live. It was generally just flat and clearly written by a man who just wasn't happy, uh, and uh, not in a, not in a heavy depression sort of way. Like no, no, I, yeah, I was, I was happy with Championship Manager ninety seven ninety eight. I was happy uh, with, 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 uh, um, with other elements of my life. But I uh, creatively, um, it was just it was just flat, and I kind of almost like someone was lacking in air and lacking being out there. So you say you're, you're, we're people watchers, and there's no one to watch. We were just stuck mm, in this hall. And so um, true. We, yeah, we're very lucky to have a nice big house and um, uh, and plenty of space to have your own uh, what have your own space. I guess uh, well, well, my wife's a primary school teacher, so she was teaching all day, and I was just pacing around the house, just just kind of getting a bit annoyed. Uh, I I it, what, what happened in the end is that I learned how to use Logic Pro, um, which <laughs> and I I recorded over a hundred drumming albums. <laughs> because wow. It's un under different names and they all exist. Uh, in fact, as it stands, I've released, uh, this is where things get dangerous, and I probably shouldn't tell people this, uh, but it's, uh, it's fine. Um, I've, so I've got to, uh, I realised that you could release names of different albums uh, as, as uh, drumming. I've released 325 albums. <laughs> so oh it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's all of them. Now, all of them. <laughs> I don't make any money out of them. <laughs> They're all on Spotify. <laughs> and um, that, was, that was my lockdown. So I guess I was being creative in a different way. But, how, uh, yeah. how how does a drumming? Oh, so is that just you drumming? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse my ignorance, but like, how does that work? <laughs> I, I, I call them drum orchestras, and I actually had some six music airplay uh, on the weird and wonderful show with Steve Mac, which is really strange. Uh, oh, hang on, I want to. And it was the only airplay I ever got, and, and, and that's all it deserved. Uh, it was uh, I with Logic. I got an electric kit, and then your your your, your kit feeds into Logic. Uh, so you call a drum part, then I call it, then I layer it with a conga part, a timpani part, and actually build up like. 60 piece orchestras uh, and, oh. uh, and uh, adding a little cowbell part and and maybe this is, is, is an illness but I imagine there's a different person every time but I, I'm a bit of a character head saying imagine you're the sexy tambourine player and some of it's quite good I mean, obviously 325 albums it can't all be great uh, but, uh, there's at least six good albums in there I reckon um, and it just uh, is actually part of HJZ Michelle. I'm trying to get to a thousand albums by next August. Oh uh, but Richards Overdrive, the the new show. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new show is about it, it, doing lots of things. Does it make your life better, or are you just knackered? Uh, that, that's what the new show is all about. So um, yeah, yeah, I want to get my. my my hit play, the Harvey Greenpush, up to a thousand performances. I want to release a thousand albums. I want to write a thousand books. I want to do all this stuff. I want to teach a thousand students. Uh, and just seeing at the end of it, I was like, are things any better? Or am I just a tired man who's just wasted a lot of people's time? I don't know. It's, it's uh, yeah. So that was my lockdown. <laughs> is, 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 that, is that a breakdown? I don't know. It's, uh, I, I just learned a new skill. It's just a new way of channeling it. Um, and I, I think the day I got too addicted to that, the recording stuff that I forgot to write. But yeah. I mean, I've already had my rants on this podcast about the expectations of uh, creative during lockdown um, yeah. with the, uh, you know, what went round for the first few months was, well, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague or whatever it was. And it's like, uh, right, so that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you you 
were that little bit extra. <laughs> and I still think there's an amazing like drum opera I can I can record. And then, uh, still, um, now that it's off it, I've had the patience to actually stick to one thing, uh, and I could record something that really could be sort of uh, quite special. Uh, like drum albums aren't a thing, although I've released a lot of them. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I think creatively, there's definitely more fish. I might, might do it after this. Actually, I've got a play with that sort of four, but I can uh, I, I've got gaps to write an album. I, I, so, <laughs> so yeah. But I did look back like about a year later at, at the lockdown and go, oh, you're done with that writing time. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, because there's a point where I, actually you see me stop at the end, so you think, I've got all the time in the world, I'll write that show next week because I'm clearly not going to be allowed out yet. Uh, and then suddenly we're allowed out again. I was a bit annoyed. <laughs> I was kind of, I got into my little um, happy space. I, we, we we just managed to get his house in time. So this is this is our little spare room. Uh, and I built it into my dream office that I've always dreamed of having, uh, which is just uh, ideas and notepads and all that. And I just want to spend more time in here. And actually during lockdown, it became my little place where I go in every day and I'd, I'd write some shows. Uh, and it would, I'd write ideas and record some albums and all of that. And, and now I wish, I'd, uh, I'm not wishing another lockdown. Obviously it's terrible. I don't want people to die uh but um, that that time i could have done with actually but we all think that don't we, we all look back going oh i had so much time on my hands and i didn't achieve as much as i should have done well it was a, i still think it's a very it, it, it's still something that we've not really been able to process like that yeah. time and and what was going on um and everyone was affected by it differently um you know we, we suffered loss through covid unfortunately um and uh it, it you know it was kind of a time to sort of take a pause i was i was lucky enough to be furloughed but also it's quite like that that's also weird as well like I, i'm i'm um come from a family of workers so to to not be doing anything and getting paid felt very very weird but very lucky um i'm very grateful for it but that's just it was the whole thing was bizarre um yeah. and creatively i didn't do much i made a couple of silly videos um did a few zooms with people uh i did one with you i think didn't we do uh, we did a play reading of something we did we did yeah yeah we did uh some some, some writers sort of teaching you make on the uh red input so thank you yeah that was uh, that was brilliant i did i did my my show once as a zoom thing as well and that that was awful because uh, the show is very very energetic and it was just me in the spare room in the room running up and down shouting around and, and it, it, it didn't work at all because uh, at the start of it, i was thinking okay i just carry on doing what you're doing just do it on zoom and after one of them i was like <laughs> wait till we go yeah back. it's hard like my i i watched this stand up via zoom and it just it doesn't work because when you can't you, obviously people can't all have their mics on yeah. um so you can't but then you can't hear laugh yeah. you can't yeah. so you don't, <laughs> it's just sort of like it's really it's really bizarre but um it it's, i just think it's such it was such a weird time it was so so weird uh, and i never happened again i think they, they won't let it happen again i think now i think they, they've learned that and i think um yeah it's but um but i still there's still regrets that i didn't do as much because then i had to suddenly i was booked for edinburgh again and i wrote a really awful show because i i, I ran out of time to write it because i had to get back out to the real world again and uh i kind of thought i had a year to write this oh nearly two years to write the show it should be the best thing ever but instead we recorded <laughs> albums uh, so, um yeah um so there, there's a lot of regrets about that and if if we were uh, in another situation like that again i would totally be more prepared for it uh and i, I would write the masterpiece that's the plan uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously we can't wish that to happen at the same time so yeah 
But yeah, last thing about uh, yeah lockdown. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I I felt like I did feel like creative people to kind of come together, even though it was remotely. I think I think there was a lot yeah. of support for each other. Um, I, I connect in a lot with with friends, which I don't do in real life. Uh, and um, like, like Izzy and actress or whatever, lot like we 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 we're, we're, we're close friends and we do lots of shows together. Uh, but I don't know how she is. You know, I can tell she's happy or not. But I give her a script and uh, and then we'll we'll have a beer afterwards and all like that. We'll, but I don't know how how is she actually doing. You know, and during lockdown, we'll we'll just catch up and that's nice. You know, just on on a Zoom chat and things like that. And I think actually um, there, there's some lessons there and actually checking in with your friends um yeah and uh yeah i think creatives kind of looked after each other a bit more because we're, we're slightly more fragile <laughs> I mean, we, we think we are at least oh no i mean i'm not saying we're the most fragile people but we we we, yeah, we probably need to check in on each other a bit more i, I think so uh yeah i think from a friendship point of view it kind of uh, it was a bonus yeah, but uh yeah it's uh interesting times um i feel very lucky that I, I I kind of was okay at the end of it when when so many people weren't obviously so yeah uh, yeah but um, just didn't like the show that I wanted to yeah. must be therapeutic though taking out the frustration on your drums for uh, a, yeah it is <laughs> hundred plus albums <laughs> <laughs> and also just just teaching it on Zoom all day as well so I spend my whole life drumming my my neighbours must hate me. Um, <laughs> I actually saw that we had uh, a fairly new neighbours since we moved in and because um, they moved at the same time as us. And I said to them, Soy, do you hear my Zoom lessons? Do you hear me? Because there's an electric kit of a, in, for the Zoom lessons. Uh, and I've got like seven acoustic kits in the garage as well. But, uh, and I, uh, I said, Soy, do you hear my lessons? They're annoying. And he says, no, no, we don't hear the drums. We just hear you shout marvellous lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you transition how did the transition occur from getting on getting on stage? I think I, I mean if I recall back to um, when I used to do in Cambridge, um, we used to do stuff for uh, Write On. Yeah. Um, I remember I remember once you wrote something that was uh, very personal. I don't know. If, I felt like at the time it was the first very personal thing you wrote that was sort of vaguely based on your life or your feelings. Mm -hmm. um, I remember you being like, uh, I, I think at the time I might have said, oh, you know. You should you should have got up and done it, and you're like, no, 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 I could never. <laughs> the idea of being on stage is so I was like, okay, well, fair enough, fair enough, because um, it's hard to put yourself out there, even even from a writing point of view. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, to be vulnerable in front of an audience. Uh, so, how did you end up performing <laughs> for? I was so fascinated by this. I was always watching some people say, well, you're on stage all the time as, as a drummer. I was like, yeah, but I'm, I'm with lovely musicians who have got my back. You know, I'm, I'm at the yeah. back. Starting as a drummer, I, you know, I'm a performer. Yeah, well, stuff. But also, if it goes wrong, it's not my fault. Uh, and uh, you've, got, you've got people in front of you covering you. Covering you. Uh, and the idea of learning lines, nothing nothing scares me more. Like, mm. And crying up on stage, um, which we, we've all done since. But it's just, um, but that, that if you don't do it, you kind of, um, you think that's going to be the worst thing ever. So 
I've always said no, and lots of people asked me to do it over the years. Uh, and then, uh, in short, Michelle Golden, uh, <laughs> it was um, who's obviously a mutual friend, and um, she was directing uh, a show which I'd written about a guy about to turn thirty, and really at a crisis point in his life, he just yeah let go of his girlfriend, uh, his long term girlfriend, uh, who I'm sure you know, uh, and um, uh, so back in the day, and um, his career wasn't going at all, and I was at a real crisis point in my life, but I hadn't got anywhere, and um, there's a milestone age uh and i wrote it for for my mate uh kevin kevin wright actor and michelle oh, yeah. said she, uh, um it was a very good improviser and he ended up being in it but not in, in the title of all because michelle said she would only direct it if i was doing it she said oh, it's clearly you it's good uh, wow. uh and i and, I, and like, like a teenager i stopped i think it's like no 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 but i really wanted michelle to direct it because she's, she's really cool uh and um and we were living in an expedition with each other it's, it's convenient as well so it was kind of um it was really, uh, and she she persuaded me to do it as I feel that she she really almost like coached me uh, at the same time. So I'd have lots of sorts of uh, away from the, the it was a cast of four, but she would also like just this help me. She would, she would almost like tell me to eat pasta more often. She would, she would sort of set me training exercises and stuff like that, <laughs> and, kind of, um, uh, and work a bit harder on me than any director should have to of an actor, put it that way, uh, because I, I'm, I'm not an actor, and so I kind of needed those those extra sessions of. Um, and, and 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 just little things like when your character's not talking for you zone out and you're thinking about your lines <laughs> yeah, yeah but the audience can still see you uh, <laughs> uh, invaluable lessons in life really i guess so you always have to be in in yeah in the zone as it were so, mm -hmm. so um, we we rehearsed that a lot it was um actually it's the first time i worked with izzy here and i worked lots of times with uh, and say it. so it's um and then really good people a little cast of four and uh, i only did like five days in edinburgh but yeah michelle uh, put me in for it i i didn't want to do it um i i was petrified going into it we tried every technique with me like um i improved my diet improved my general health um and then uh, speed runs of lines and just live in the character and it kind of took over my life and i realized I was actually quietly enjoying it and then we um we we didn't even book it as an Edinburgh show. We booked it in as a little CB2 basement uh, show in Cambridge. Uh, and uh, all my workmates came to see it as like pause on stage. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was, I was at play.com. They used to uh, used to work as us a lot next yeah. year. So. Uh, basically, all the play came to watch it. It felt like that. <laughs> it was, um, it was, uh, and it's a show involves being in my pants. Uh, and so they all saw me in a different light. Uh, and there was, there was one character, one scene where my character's house burns down, and I'm just trapped in my pants. Uh, and um, I didn't write it for me. So if I'd known that, I wouldn't have put that scene in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, it's, it's terrifying. Like seeing your your mates to see you in your underwear on stage, and it's a very exposing sort of you know, moment, isn't it? Um, uh, and then the, the show works, and then at the very last minute, I spoke to to Mr. Buckley Hill, uh, PBH, and said, "Yeah, he got anything going for the Fringe," and he he very kindly um, uh, there was a few dropouts, so we went and did like a very short run up there, and suddenly I was on stage in the Fringe, being uh, Oscar Pike, which I think is uh, the first thing, and then. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that was it was terrifying, but I also didn't want to do it again. I think that was definitely I, I can't be can't be doing this again. I thought, but then the press said some nice things about it. Uh, I don't want to be star, but um, they, they were they were very polite, and I kind of thought, okay, I could be me on stage, but then uh, and that's not really acting. It's such a learn some lines, and people seem to find it endearing, and that's that's a really that's a, that's a revelation, isn't it? Because uh, <laughs> who would have thought of being yourself is being an actor? That's, that's, a, that's a whole new, uh, uh, again, a whole new conversation around, isn't it? But um, so, yeah. And then, um, so we did a follow up to it the next year. Um, 
uh, which uh, wasn't as good, uh, but follow up to everyone, are they? So, uh, yeah, we, um, uh, and, but I still love working with people. And then things just kind of migrated from there. And then I just end up going solo, which is, yeah. <laughs> that, when you think about it now, it wasn't that long ago as well. It's only 12 years ago. And I, I've since done 14 solo years in Edinburgh or something. Or so, well, actually, 14 solo shows in Edinburgh. So, yeah, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. So, so your solo shows are they uh, are they scripted like fictional things or or? or... Yeah, it, it got really messy at one point where I was doing. Uh, so I went down from full cast because logistically it's it's tough having cast just because um, uh, accommodation costs and then um, just availability. We've got at the moment we're doing Christmas show, amazing cast, but trying to get we need extra rehearsals because I'm away next week and trying to get six people in a room together. Uh, it's just hard, isn't it, when people are busy. Mm. So I started doing duo shows uh, with, with Hind Shuba, uh, who's who's cool, and we, we toured a lot. Um, uh, and because she was kind of a loose end career wise anyway, and a really good actress, and she was like the perfect level of uh, she can do sort of the the glamorous actress stage, but off stage she could drink beer and eat a fry up. It's kind of it's like touring with a lass, like mate, you know. It's, it's cool. <laughs> she's a really cool tour buddy. You know, we, we went all over the country at the Isle of Sky and so that. We started doing all these shows, doing like fourteen date tours constantly all the time in between work never got time off um and then she got a real job and uh, so that that ruined that <laughs> so uh, I, I had to go solo because i was just running out of people basically it was um uh and so the solo shows um it got really weird because i i was got maybe done by play uh, uh it's a day job and then went straight to another job which is identical but not as fun uh same sort of work but the people weren't as nice uh and i i, I wasn't getting on with anyone there at all and uh, i was clearly going to lose my job at some point i think that was uh, i was gigging every night to get back at two in the morning doing a nine to five job making lots of mistakes in the job and the boss took me to a meeting one day and said you've got to make a choice here uh, either quit your office job uh or, or quit what you're doing outside of work and actually focus and we you know, we can go up the career ladder. I thought nothing would, would annoy me more uh, of, of, of going up the career ladder in content. Uh, and so I um, so I, I, I told her to stuff it, basically, and I went full time. Uh, the danger of doing solo shows is that people think you're a stand up. Uh, and mm. which in, I, I've never seen myself as stand up, but I've ended up doing a lot of stand up gigs over the years like hundreds of stand up gigs, even though I'm not a stand up. Uh, and so they do become bittier and anecdotal rather than with the structure of a play um and uh, and i realized then that i was accidentally becoming sort of the stand-up people wanted me to be rather than what was natural to be uh and i, I wasn't very good at it but i but i'd also quit my day job i had no choice but to try and make a living out of this somehow uh so i spent two and a half years touring around the country dying on my ass um uh well, i wrote a book about it, I wrote a book about it because uh, it was a horrible experience uh, of being booed in venues and running out of your life <laughs> and, uh, but also continue to do it uh, and um uh, but yeah also myself as a theatre writer it suddenly trapped as a stand-up comedian didn't want to be that because he's doing one-man theatre because one-man theatre is weird isn't it it's still not really uh, people don't it's, it's not a thing is it well, it's a thing but it is it's not as popular as when people go to watch the theatre they expect to see a cast don't they uh or if it's one man it's a model yeah it's oh it's hard isn't it because it's like it depends what your expectations are as well, because uh, I, I know what you mean. Like it's not it's not the same, but there are many good one person shows, and I think yeah. like something like Fleabag, which started on stage, has sort of set precedent, and also like a huge expectation as well. <laughs> um, 
so uh as amazing as that piece of work is it's like not every not every broadcast show is like that unfortunately yeah, yeah. No, i know um, um I think people tend not to book it as well i realized that oh uh, well, i realized it by the day so i had to call it stand up just to get my my words out there but then the audiences were expecting stand up uh and that's that's, that's yeah i mean stand up yeah. a stand up expectation for, from an audience point of view would be that like there might be some interaction so that they might get to shout jokes. at you at some point play some jokes in there <laughs> never any jokes in my show no jokes never never jokes <laughs> that was, was they're waiting for one uh, 15 minutes in still no jokes uh and um yeah it was that was a tough point in my life actually weirdly the guy I messaged my time about the zoom link not working a bit ago that that was my my housemate at the time uh who, who very kindly just um helped me out with rent should we say he was my landlord and just let a lot of things go when I you see that I was trying to get so in my life but it was uh I was 35 years old and uh, there's one, I was on the Shetland Islands doing a stand-up tour and it, it took me 14 hours on the ferry to get to the final night of the tour and I had three people in the audience and then 14 hours to get home again <laughs> and, uh, and then I was sat on the train on the way back going uh, maybe maybe a change of direction <laughs> so yeah how, how long were these shows that you were no, I was doing an hour and a half on stage every day. My God, Paul. What an ego. What an <laughs> ego to people <laughs> get away with that. Uh, but there's some nights where down south uh, in Devon, they were lovely. Uh, and I kind of felt like, oh, maybe I'm a stand-up. Maybe they just like me, you know. As a, uh, and uh, then you get to Yorkshire and realise, no, you're definitely not a stand-up. They, they really, they, they hate you up here. Uh, there, there was one day I lost in 23 minutes. And then I ran out of the venue because <laughs> they were going to kill me. It was it was that bad. Um but uh, it's, it's life life changing stuff, you know. And uh, but that never should have been a plan. If if Hind, the actress I was touring with, hadn't got a job at the bank, uh, I was still be doing shows with her. Uh, and because uh, I, I think we had this really lovely sort of uh, thing where it's basically a solo show. It's called the uh, Some Place by Paul Richards, uh, in which it was me on stage, sort of Tony Hancock style, almost it's set in a flat, uh, and I'd be moaning about stuff. But it's a play; it's definitely got structure to it. And then she would come on as either the landlady or a girlfriend or the girl I fancy or something like that. And it's a nice little foil. For the audience, so that little something else to watch, and it should go off again and come back as a different character. Uh, and so it's a solo show with just this extra person. And I think that is the perfect level. I want to get back to that at some point if I can. Uh, it's just hard to convince someone to tour with you for only 16 lines. It's a lot of traveling and for not a lot of stage time uh, to basically watch me on stage every night and then come on, say a few lines, and go back off again. Um, but I think we're just at a stage of our lives where she was happy to do it. Um, and I, I, I used to love doing those shows more than anything. And then the stand-up stuff, when it works, is is, is amazing because you kind of you feel like it was for the world. But it, it it didn't work more often than not. I think that was in retrospect. But I kept on doing it. Yeah, it works well in Edinburgh because the audiences are more open-minded to what stand-up actually is as a genre. Um, they're fine with storytelling. They're, they're fine with a bit of musical theatre and all that stuff thrown in. When you're doing these one-person shows now, are they? Is it always? Are you playing characters? Uh, exaggerated versions of myself. Right. Uh, they're, they're, they've gone very, very musical. Um, uh, and and it went, that was mostly known to Rory McGrath, um, uh, sort of a legend uh, in, in some circles. Uh, and uh, he uh, he lives uh, in Cambridge, and I I do I do warm up shows in his local pub. I didn't realise it's a local pub, but they have a little function upstairs. 
and I'll do my previous hair. One day he walks in, it's like it's a famous person walking in. This is this is all you know, and he, <laughs> he just stands in with his pipe, and, and he and he's a lovely audience member because he understands where you're coming from and he, he wants you to succeed, even if it wasn't quite working. And he would laugh where he thinks the joke should be, or if you're trying a joke, he would laugh and be supportive, even if you didn't find it funny. And I think that's a really nice, uh, that, that's a really nice thing to do uh, as an audience member. But he said to me one day, I did an hour, I think it's a show called Inadequate Man. It's like me struggling to grow up, uh, generic stuff really. And he said to me, yes, it's, uh, it's all lovely. He said, you, but you are just another uh, middle-class white man uh, bumbling around being awkward. So, and you're really good at that, but there's a lot of you doing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you're, you're not going to you're not gonna get anywhere with this. And it was really blunt. He said, yeah. you're, the show's polished and it's tight. There's jokes in the right places. You're good at that. But you'll go to Edinburgh and, and you'll see there's a lot of people like you doing it well as well. Mm. Um, but there's no way that's, that's that can be a career uh, unless you get very lucky. Uh, um, but uh, we said in that show, I did one thing on the drum, like a little box drum, a little weird thing. I guess, but that, that drumming thing you did, that could be that could be your way in. Uh, so, so <laughs> no one drums and talks. Uh, and so uh, I suggested like being like the David Doherty of drums or the Tim Mitchell drums or that, you know, uh, which and then so that's my shows became like that basically, which kind of. Yeah, if they don't like the show, it's at least I'm a good drummer. Uh, I think that's good. Just, um, yeah. And then that's what my shows are now. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, until they change again, but still, sorry, but yeah, so, the, yeah. so the drum kit comes with you wherever you perform. Uh, a little box, a little cajon, little box drum. Yeah, yeah. For nice. my, my stand-up type things, but then I realised that I, 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 I didn't want to be a stand-up. <laughs> and then I, I, after two and a half years of, of just about getting by, um, uh, and but mostly struggling to be honest. I was like one bad MOT away from disaster, you know. And I, I drove a lot of my 300 pound Volvo all around the country with it, and it's just amazing that it's uh, it was 24 years old that car. It's amazing, it kept me going. I'm very grateful for it. Um, but um, things have changed, but also I was changing because there's one day which I was um. Uh, just, just not making enough money. And so I started temping at uh, college, just in some admin, sort of yeah, 36, 37 years old. And I thought, okay, just do some admin, you've got to pay the bills still, you know? And then the drum teacher was ill at the college. So I stepped in and ran the lesson, even though I'm not, not a teacher, but also not an actor. So it's how my life works. I accidentally do things. <laughs> and um, and then uh, they, they liked it because I was unconventional. I said, unconventional, I don't know what I'm doing. That's <laughs> like, yeah, but so, yeah. Uh, so I ran the lesson and then they offered me a job as a drum teacher. And then, uh, and so that became a nice way of, Give me a fan, which is now yeah, most of my living to us. Yeah, I, te I teach drums, but I was also I'm totally freelance, so I can pick and choose the work whenever I want to. Mm. Um, and from that, it kind of stabilized me because when you're not scrounging around for every five pound note, you're not counting every audience member going, That's my dinner, that's my rent, that's my petrol. This, you know, when, when you're you got a bit of money in the bank, it's a bit, a bit too keep you comfortable, you can actually relax and, and work more on the show and actually write a better show. Mm. Uh, uh, and then I uh, kind of thought, Let's go back to theatre again. Let, let's. Uh, you, you've done two and a half years, and then I, I went to the Swindon Fringe, where all the dreams come true, uh, and uh, we, we were my first theatre show in years, and it won an award straight away um, because it was still a solo show, but I, I called it three plays in an hour, um, and uh, with a bit of a backing track to it as well, so Tasmetra characters when they're pre-recorded, uh, and that that suddenly became my thing. And as soon as you call it theatre, they don't expect to laugh, and they laugh more. It's weird, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if that was a bit of stand up, they wouldn't have enjoyed it at all, but. Uh, uh, and so that that's been my thing ever since where it's it, it feels like i'm doing stand-up in theater now it's, it's gone that way it's, it's a confusing route isn't it <laughs> but uh yeah um actually i was in edinburgh last year and also this year 
and uh and one day it just didn't work at all i was doing a solo show and i was really proud of it but it just it, they just weren't on side and it finished and so i did what anyone should do get my mate alan in uh, alan is a really cool uh, actor alan hay um and um and i said to him just i'll give you a comp ticket i've got expensive ticket but i'll give you a comp if you make notes and just let me know why uh because i i think this works and it's worked in the previews it's worked every other day but it didn't work last night and he just said to me you're a stand-up doing theater i was like am i and he goes yeah he said, you're <laughs> it was just so much yeah, you're you're looking for laughs constantly rather than being a character and you're making mm. far too much contact with the audience you're leaving pauses for laughter as if it's a gag laugh now and he says you need to cut that now and uh, and you can look away from the audience they won't they're expecting you to and if anything you're intimidating them a little bit so i i tried that <laughs> oh wow but i know in <laughs> small rooms as well small rooms i'm in their faces going yeah here's the thing here's the thing uh and uh, i don't people blink uh so i can sort of see how that's quite um in some of the audience and i i, I didn't necessarily agree with him but i tried it the next day and it worked a treat so i'm very grateful for that hazard but um yeah so someone who's not a stand-up suddenly got into stand-up and then went back out of it and is now trying to get back into theater it's a strange old route isn't it but uh why are we still doing it but yeah it's, it's the buzzer isn't it what um and how how is performing in that way um you know in front of an audience or, or acting how, has that done anything for your confidence either way either way i think so i mean obviously when you're a bad night you know, your, your stomach is sinking and you're, you're driving home going yeah you know what i could just be a teacher uh, i've got a nice cozy life why am i putting myself with stress of this i get nervous but i get very nervous when every show still and that isn't healthy for your heart to be beating that fast for every single show uh because you really care you know you're really excited about it uh but then yeah your confidence once you've dealt with stuff once you've done a gig in colchester uh once you've once you've really died in your ass in colchester you can do anything you can you know that and you get a classroom full of horrible children that's nothing compared to the people in colchester that one night that really horrible night uh and so um i think it's helped me in my, my other careers it's just uh, I'm, I'm, i've become a very loud person which i certainly wasn't sort of 15 years ago i don't think I, i've always been a chatter but mm. i'm very loud now i can, I can control the room but i was always controlling a, a classroom seven audience uh so yeah confidence is is it's probably too much now it's a short lifetime i need to cut <laughs> need to, need to cut it's <laughs> 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 a bit, bit arrogant anything. but uh yeah but you kind of realize they can't kill you that's illegal and um yeah, yeah they, they they can say bad things on social media, but it'll be gone in three days because they'll they'll say bad things about the next person instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, and um, they, 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 you can't die on stage. Well, you, you can if you're really unlucky. But um, they, they, yeah, well, I've done a lot of bad gigs over the years, <laughs> and, in the, um, and even a couple of years ago, we had this gig which just was it was the wrong venue, and it was our history of pop show, which is storming all over uh, all over Ireland, all over England. And we did this one show uh, up north. And they hated it. Uh, and the social media backlash was huge. This was only two years ago. Uh, and you know, it was a hit show everywhere else. And in Manchester the next day, word for the same show, and they couldn't get enough of it. Uh, so you're going to get nights where it doesn't work. And you learn not to take it personally. And mm. um, you go, it, the self-belief has to be quite high, doesn't it? So, yeah. And would you would you only act in things that you write? Or would you, would, have, you, have you acted in anyone else's work? 
it's been kind of tricky. Uh, I, I did a few short films recently, um, uh, which, but I, I, I get cast as awkward man at bar. I've noticed that. <laughs> it's just um, it's cool. That's, that's what I am. Um, there was one lovely moment actually where, um, uh, as, as I left uh, the room, the director said to to, to Alan, uh, my mate, the actor, brilliant actor, he said to him, that poor Richard guy does awkward really well, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and then he didn't say, yeah, that's all he does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do struggle. I, I think I am difficult to, to uh, be be directed. I I, uh, I would like to do stuff that other people have written. I just don't think I'll be very good at it. I think there's better actors out there. I think there's people who have, who have trained who could do with the work and could do a better job than me. Um, the we can get onto the movie stuff in a bit, but that was a real eye opener of. of of me having to be a real actor for the first time ever. Um, uh, and that was a shop to the system. But uh, yeah, uh, maybe I think it's short answer, but I like doing what I do. Uh, the, mm. the plan is to actually write more for other people. I think that that's that's where I'm sort of heading towards now. Uh, and um, doing a couple of solo shows. I've got three solo shows next year already, uh, which is it's too many, isn't it? Uh, but I've also got a load of ideas, which I know that I haven't got time to do, but I've also got lots of actors who who could do them so uh yeah that's the plan so what 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 part of acting do you love Paul? uh the live stuff the the instant reaction mm. uh, I, I don't like the film stuff at all. I I I don't like getting nothing back. Um, I we, we filmed for a month uh, with, with the movie, and I I hated every second of it uh, because I was uh, I, I I love the people, I love the camaraderie, uh, and I, I love the social element of it. Um, but I was out of my depth the whole time uh, because I just couldn't. I wasn't hearing the that instant sort of reaction back. Um, I, I love the idea of doing a show. I, I, I love uh, with 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 sort of the, the most recent show I've been doing. I've been touring the country a bit, and I the audience getting let in half an hour before the show starts, and I pace around on stage for like half an hour just looking at them. Uh, and I, I I love building that suspense and then thinking, is this the show? Is this the show? Has he started yet, or has he just not got a dressing room? Uh, what's the, you know what's the deal there? Uh, I, 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 I we all like laughter, don't we? You know, we we want to make mm. people laugh. Um, but uh, but also like structure. So probably going back to some of those Gladden stuff actually, where if that was staged, that must be the best thing ever because yeah, there's there's more jokes in an average episode of that than um, uh, than any average stand up show. But uh, uh, but also there's a plot to it as well. So yeah. Um, and what part of it do you not love? When you fail, I mean, it's, <laughs> when you when you're just on stage and uh, if you know you've got a show that should have worked and it's too late to change it and you're committed to it for a month in Edinburgh and you, you're going into it and, and you, you almost want to apologise to the audience after the show going, look, I know. <laughs> I, I know this isn't great today, sorry. <laughs> there was one show a couple of years ago where I said to him, stick with it because the punchline's great. <laughs> it was just, so I could tell that I was losing them. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's been some nights where you just don't, uh, you don't get a connection um, and uh, you can't blame the audience for that. Uh, oh, you can actually, no, no, you can't. No, 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 there's a two-way thing, isn't it? There, there's nights where I've just been in the wrong and there's other nights where people have come with different expectations. But when, you, when you're doing an hour show, it's a long time if it's not working. Um, it's the best bubble to be in if, if you've got them. You know, it's just like you're room for the friends. If you're, even the strangers, it feels like it's you and them. You're connecting. It's the most beautiful thing. If they're stuck with you for an hour and it's a man rambling who they hate, that's that's horrible, isn't it? And uh, and with a play, you can't really cut anything from it. With stand up, you can just 
get out of the way in 40 minutes and call it an hour. But we were playing as a plot and you can't skip to the end, unfortunately. So, yeah. <laughs> There was definitely uh, last year's in Edinburgh had a, a show, My Function Band Hell, which is a musical comedy show, but I was put on at 11 pm in quite a rough bar. And uh, even though it's a theatre comedy kind of crossover type thing, I think it was built as stand up, but it never really was, uh, it, it needed uh, an old school comedian who could shout at them. And that, that isn't me. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's nights where I had the crowd took outside, uh, I gave them all tambourines, which is dangerous for drunk, drunk people. Uh, but, uh, and we sort of feel it was sort of drumming orchestra on stage, and then whilst telling a story about playing Mets girlfriend's wedding. Uh, and uh, so it was a lovely thing. But there are other nights where people just wanted to have fights with me. Uh, and that was, that was done challenge <laughs> and uh there was nights where i started to stop fighting during the show uh and it changes the way you act because you kind of mm. watch uh, at the same time but then uh, the show did very well elsewhere so i kind of got, I had faith in the show again and um, 28 days in edinburgh where i was just basically being a bouncer um and then got to leicester where i had eight people in back to my safe place again lovely quiet room and and it worked really well so that's nice so those nights i don't enjoy those nights where you're you're, you're kind of fearing um violence but yeah you know swings around about us yeah having had a consistent um amount of years of putting on shows in you know all over the uk um do you do you feel do you feel successful for like as, as in is it is it enough for you or are you reaching for something else or is, are, you, are you just happy with that amount I, never happy i think that'd be uh, uh because we um and i should be uh, i know that I'm, I'm i'm very very privileged uh and it's sort of now working to work out for me um 2019 i felt successful um it's dipped a bit since then uh but <laughs> 2000 so it, i hit that strange point in my life where i was accidentally a teacher because uh more more colleges took me on us because the drum teachers are hard to come by in cambridge so mm-hmm. ended up with lots, lots of work i i I'd met met aggie my, my lovely now wife um we I, I moved in with her uh and i was and I, and I proposed and i was settling down so i wrote my last ever show that was that was i, I was going to quit all this artist i thinking, okay yeah you can bring this into you can teach it now you can teach how to write a play you can mm-hmm. uh and, and and you can use these life skills for putting the classes like that but yeah at some point there'll probably be babies hopefully and all that stuff and life's going to change altogether you know uh and so uh and you're about to get a mortgage and, and all that stuff so uh i uh um, I uh, I went the last ever show, Harvey Greenfield's running late, my last ever Edinburgh show, uh, with no expectations whatsoever, because uh, the year before that was Shingles year, and things were, you know, the career wasn't really going anywhere, I realised that. I was always three star Richards every year, uh, always got a three star every year I did. Um, and so I wrote my last ever show, and I was determined to be, and then the first two days, not a single person turned up. And I thought, it's okay though, because I'm at the fringe, and I can see places, and I don't care about this anymore. And I'm also a nice drumming gig up here to pay the money, that gets money for it. And then the show was a massive success, the Scots when latched onto it wrote um uh, a double page uh, review on it uh, wow in the saturday magazine as well even though i was on at 11 a.m in a small venue they Amazing. wrote in there uh and then a film director got hold of it and then it got made to a feature film and suddenly i was like okay it's not the last show because uh, this is a success you know uh, and and the press of that show is is amazing and i, I don't think it deserves it but um because it's just a man running for an hour shouting at them but it's, it's clicked to people i don't know why I've, I've stumbled into a thing that people liked uh kind of wish i found it sooner uh but uh, you don't know when that's going to happen you know when it's one of the 
everything just ties in and falls into place really nicely. Uh, and yeah, I felt like a, a success for that. And then obviously uh, the films with lots of famous people in it, um, like Mr. Motivator, uh, and uh, Howard <laughs> from the Halifax adverts, legend, uh, Norman Lovett from Red Dwarf, Annette Badland from EastEnders and Doctor Who, so like real famous people, and me. Um, uh, still in the lead role and uh, actually premieres next week. I'm very excited. I'll go to Oh, amazing. Uh, but, uh, and, and yeah, suddenly you feel like, okay, uh, th this is all meant to be. And actually this whole long struggle of dying in your arse in Colchester and Yorkshire and places like that, where this has all been building up to this one moment because this character struggles uh, and this character, and this, this is authentic. And, and I really felt like I was onto, this is it, this is my career now. Um, and then the film was like, because of COVID, for two years <laughs> and then uh and it finally got made a month of filming i was at my depth but that's kind of the charm of the character uh because yeah what i gather the film looks really good because i'm not an actor and i think that's that's what makes it even more natural again i'm bumbling man talking too fast staring at a camera um and uh i didn't feel comfortable with the process but uh i think it's gonna be a great thing but then uh and my ego then kicked in going okay you're a success which is your success and actually <laughs> things really work since <laughs> so that's 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 the way it is isn't it so um I think I've got a really good CV to, to answer the question. I, I, I'm, it looks like I'm a success, but I also still die my ass constantly. But I think we all do, don't we? Or, but yeah, uh, are you are you are you reaching for something in in particular? Um, no, <laughs> because because I, I, the reason I ask is because um, uh, what Anthony Hopkins says about acting is that yeah. like if you're still if you're still here and you're still trying and you're still, you know, going to auditions and 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 you know, you're, yeah. you're a success. If you've not given up, you're a success. Yeah. And and you spark me someone that just will never give up. Um, it's just too ingrained in you to be Creative. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I also do my time. It's uh, I have, uh, I, I still have, I've got ideas that really, really excite me, uh, and uh, and I want to show people them. And I, I think as long as you you haven't got the expectation of being famous from it, or mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the Harvey Greenfield stuff has been amazing. I've, yeah, I've performed it over 130 times on that show, and it's uh, yeah, the film and all that stuff, and that so that is a, a bona fide success, and it will be, be screened everywhere. So it's really, really cool. Uh, but I can't expect that every time. I realise that, and I assume, and and I don't go into that now i think i've got this idea for a shirt might make people funny if it makes 20 people laugh in a back room somewhere then that's a success isn't it i think you're yeah uh i'm no longer committing to it as a full-time job but i think that's that's a dangerous especially in these these, these times mm. uh, uh, and um uh, and yeah i got nominated for the award uh, this year for for uh, my, my one of my drumming shows my, my, my leicester comedy award it's a huge thing really uh and probably bigger than the harvey stuff but um but yes yeah, i didn't win i lost out to a radio four comedian but still that was a bit a moment of success good for the cv but i had to take two hours off work to go and go to the awards ceremony <laughs> and, and, and so it's um yeah i, I think we forget to enjoy it sometimes uh, and uh, I, I'm starting to enjoy myself again now. We, Brighton Fringe this year, I, I took a full cast of me, and we had a lovely time. Uh, I, I, I want to do more of that sort of thing now, just hanging out with my mates and uh, putting on some shows. And if people like them, that's a bonus, isn't it? But um, but I'll never stop. I, I think that's um, and there's uh, I interviewed Eric Chappell years ago who wrote Rising Damp, the um, uh, now badly dated because it's quite racist, but um, all this time uh, sitcom. Uh, and he he sadly died a couple of years ago, but he in his eighties, he was still writing plays even though no one's commissioned him. Like they, they stopped commissioning him after like 1982, uh, since he wrote Duty Free, I think it was. But um, but he still wrote plays because that's what he does. Yeah. Uh, and I think he was the point where he stopped sending off to people. We just he wrote plays because he, he was a wealthy man who had time in his hands and he had ideas and what you're going to do with those ideas but just write them so, yeah 
Paul, you've been so amazing um, oh, on this podcast, and it's been it's been just so wonderful to chat to you um, and listen to all the things you've done, which is so so many things. We've uh, I probably just touched upon just a few of them in this uh, in this short couple of hours that we spent together. Um, I'm going to end my podcast the way I end all my podcasts, which is with uh, a questionnaire invented by uh, the famous French interviewer Bernard Pivot, who inspired my favourite interviewer. James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio. So, Paul, what is your favourite word? Marvellous. And what is your least favourite word? Wax. Okay. No, I, I mean, I mean, so, so my, my dog's got earwax issues at the moment. It's the most disgusting thing ever. It's just it's playing on my mind. Uh, <laughs> it, it looks weird. As a word, mm. it's triangular. As a word, mm. it, it, yeah. a, it shouldn't exist. <laughs> you know, that, that's that. Words shouldn't be mathematical, but it looks like it should be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, laughter, just ego. But uh, yeah, just just yeah. I can never write serious drama. It's, it's got to be laughter. Yeah. And what turns you off? Um. Audience members who sit in the front row with their arms folded go, make me laugh then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the best. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> A lot of those. What is your favourite swear word? Uh, I say bollocks a lot. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> it bounces along, doesn't it? So, yeah. yeah. And it can be used in so many different ways. Very first song word. Yeah. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Uh, oh, um, applause. Oh, that says too much about me. No, <laughs> <laughs> drums, just say drums, 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 drums. <laughs> applause for drumming. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> and what sound or noise do you hate? Um, booing, genuinely. <laughs> 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 or, or, or that, that awkward gasp of silence of what are we watching? Mm. <laughs> is this? Uh, is it, it's like that collective tumbleweed that should be silent, but you know it's there. You can just kind of hear it still. That, ooh. yeah, that, that, a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, it's also I can't, I can't, various professions already, so I think I've got enough on the go. Um, uh, or is it novelist? I think we're going for um, to escape really? into that. Um, I've written one novel cut thing, but it's not really a novel. It's it's, um, it's it's certainly wouldn't sort of winning literary prizes, but I'd like to sort of delve further into that. But that takes a lot of patience, which I don't have. Uh, when there's drum albums to be recorded, so uh, yeah. <laughs> and what profession would you not like to do? Oh, does anything involves being sat in an office uh, and, and and having to please management? Imagine mm. that. Oh no, no, no! I, I like being my own boss, and uh, yeah, yeah. I've had plenty of those jobs over the years. Yeah, same. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Got your lovely little DW drum kit, and there's there is a shortage of drum albums in, in heaven. <laughs> I believe you're the man because <laughs> they they famously love drums in heaven. Uh, so finally, uh, and DW is like the big brand. So yeah, uh, so yeah, cool. fantastic. 
Paul, is there anything you want to plug? Um, probably for next year. This isn't going out for a couple of weeks. So. Uh, well, the, the Harvey Greenfield is one in late the movie will be everywhere at some point. So it's got a premiere in Dublin next week. Uh, wow. And, uh, um, so um, uh, so that, that's I've still not seen it. I watched it tomorrow. Week. <laughs> and so uh, I've been invited to the director's house to watch it in the room, but I. Uh, so, but, uh, so I'm going to see the first one with everyone else. Uh, so yeah, look out for Harvey Green for this one in late. I have a new show which will be on tour from February all for the year called um, uh, The Only Drummer in Town, in which I'll play four different drummers at the same time. It's a theatre show. Um, and then there'll be uh, another seven shows as well, as we know. So uh, yeah, but uh, that's the two that are confirmed at the moment. So uh, yeah. <laughs> But is it, uh, the, so you say the feature film is going to be in cinemas to give it getting uh, well, they're trying to get as many cinemas as possible. They're just doing the uh, the circuit with it at the moment, and uh, yeah. So we've got the um, the the film festival, which is um, really exciting, isn't it? So uh, in, in Dublin, and it's most of Cambridge. It feels like it's going to watch it, uh, which is cool. We've got a big plane going over there, so uh, <laughs> yeah, amazing. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, as soon oh, as I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it comes to if it comes to London somewhere, that would be really. Good. I think it will. Cool, amazing to catch up, dude. And uh, yeah, speak soon. Have a great Sunday. All the best. You too. Take care. Thanks Bye. again. Bye. Well, thank you, Paul. You were a wonderful guest. Um, just there was so much there, and not just because you speak at quite a rapid pace, um, but just a lot of inspiration. Paul has worked very, very, very hard, and he continues to do so, and every penny and pretty much he spends on putting on shows and as he says to make a loss and um to some that seems you know nonsensical i think if that was the word i was looking for um but he's not in it for money he's not chasing adulation yes of course he prefers applause to booze but don't we all Paul, you're so inspiring that you just you just want to create all the time and you want to tell these different stories. And I love that you, you use these things in your life like your your drumming and your knowledge of music or sitcoms or everything that got you to where you are. You know, as creators, we've always got to use what we know. They say that's writers, don't they? Writers write what you know. But You've got to use the things in your life to help with your creativity, which is why it's important to to have a life and go out there and experience things. It was an absolute honour to interview Paul. Um, not had a chat with him for many years, and um, yeah, I can't wait to see the film. Um, it did really well, uh, and um, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, seeing you on the big screen <laughs> um yeah congratulations paul thank you everyone for listening um really appreciate your support and um it's been a wild ride we've just got uh just one more to go and then that'll be it for the year um so uh thank you for listening please tell someone about a podcast please uh talk about it on social media or Follow me on social media. Um, But more importantly, more important than anything, stay creative.